Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that there is a little bit of an audio issue at the beginning of this episode. Bill initially started this episode outside next to his pool in true retirement fashion, but we actually had to get him to go inside about 10 minutes in because there was a little bit of wind and the audio gets a lot better at that point. So please, if the audio is bad, just bear with us a little bit just for that first 10 minutes. Otherwise, if you want to stick around, we are going to put the after show, actually a 15 minute live stream we did on Facebook after this episode. So stick by all the way towards the end to uh, get a little bit of recap of the show as well if you would like. Thank you guys so much for listening. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. We will see you guys on Saturday at Harvard de Grace. Oh, man, that's um, a Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, it's literally Saturday. Uh, we have corns and kings available on our website. We have corns and kings available on Morph Market. Um, Justin, those are fires. Uh, AML diffused. Some of them have mass. A lot of the ones with the screen mask coloration have uh, or pattern on their head are uh, masked. Okay, could have typed that to him. Okay. But um, yes, <laughs> that's all our stuff. You want to introduce our guest? Yes, porcypetons.com, all that good stuff. And uh, Quick Bites, check us out on Facebook. And we're going to have some breeders on in the future, too. I scheduled one at least, so look out for that. But today's guest, we had him on Ground Bites just a second ago, basically. And had him on From the Ground Up forever ago. Ooh, he was probably our second or third guest, third or fourth guest, maybe. In person. Yes. Yeah, and he brought a snake to the in-person one, so he got big which is the first and only time ever actually that anyone's ever brought a snake to the yes. Um, so if you haven't guessed it, or if you didn't read the title, <laughs> we have Bill on today. Here he is. Did you like that dramatic pull-in? Now Bill's here. I was hanging on every word. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa Jones. Um, cheers. Cheers. That's a big yes. wine glass. I don't it's think you could look more retired than you do right now. I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating a Monday night. <laughs> so, what have you been up to? Now you are a full-time reptile breeder. Is that fair to say? I'd say that's what I'm doing in my spare time. Yes, I mean, I wouldn't say it's. You know, 24, 7, 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, whatever I'm used to working. But it's it's enough to keep me busy, bring a little income in. Um, so that's what I've been doing. I've ended a couple of times since I left my practice. And so I'll be doing more of that. And as you, you do this big move, which just got me excited out. Um, all so... You're going on that crazy move, but what are you doing on the radio? What happened a couple weeks ago? Oh, yeah. What? The ESPN <laughs> thing. Oh, yeah. Did you see? Oh, you're acting like it's not a big deal. Yeah, everyone saw it. Oh, man. I thought it was cool. I mean, that's what I do, like, as I'm walking around, you know, hanging out with the snakes and doing whatever I need to do. In the morning, I've got uh, usually – and um, not sports, 
nut, but they're on at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so to that ESPN show, the Will Kane show, because he's from Dallas and he likes the Dallas sports teams. So he just happened to not be on that day. And I just kind of caught out of the corner of my ear. They started talking about snakes and they kept talking about snakes. And then they got kind of snotty talking about snakes. And that, and I just said, all right, fuck it, I'm calling. Then I called like two times, got in, and they like immediately wanted to talk to me until they didn't want to talk to me. And then they cut me off. Yeah, I was about to say, did you drop off the call or did, did they, they cut you off? I'm 99% sure the producer cut me off because I had four bars. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's amazing. <laughs> but it was worth it. I, I tried to explain I mean, it. Was, yeah, you got to explain it. You know? It, explain about the snakes and explain about us, right? We're not all, you know, just, well, tonight we'll cuddle up in our apartment talking about snakes, but not all the time. <laughs> we have other interests and we're like, you know, normal people. For the most yeah, part. Yeah, I think if anyone is the, you know... The antithesis of that, or of the embodiment of normal, it's you. So I'm glad you could be you the, were the face. one to, <laughs> to <laughs> or at least you can at least say that you're a doctor. So that makes you normalized. You didn't want to be in <laughs> <laughs> talking about catfish and then the things. <laughs> yeah, oh, Bill's a good Bill's a good representation. I know a lot of good people that would that would represent our community. I was just happened to be the one that was Did you notice any like random followers or people reaching out to you after that? Yeah. Yeah, I picked up about 50 Facebook friend requests oh. that day and then um, I think a lot of them have dropped me since. But uh, um, yeah, a little bit of increased activity. But that's fun people, though. You know, just to, I mean, just yeah. to say that you had the opportunity is is great. Yeah, I mean, it, it was fun. You know, a couple of people messaged me and said, God, you sounded like so calm and you, you know, you weren't nervous. And, you know, well, I do a radio show too, you know. I'm not going to be intimidated by ESPN. I'm not going to invite them on my radio show. I promise you that. Well, what is up with uh, retirement and GTP Keeper Radio? Is there going to be an uptake in that as well? Doubt it because this is, I've become busy. Buddy has become more busy. So I think we'll probably, and, and to be honest, we kind of like the, and the duration where it's at. You know, every, every couple of months – um, is good for us. It suits our listeners, I think. We're very narrow, like you guys, unlike even Morelli Python Radio, rocking, oops, rocking the shirt. I noticed you oh, had a Phoenix Reptile shirt on, and I do have to tell I you, indeed. I did order, you did on one of the, on one of the uh, shows, and I did order my Port C Pythons t-shirt today, as a matter of fact. Oh, well, nice. Thank Thanks, you. Bill. <laughs> because what, I did not buy a Phoenix Reptile shirt. Some guy came over to my house and gave me one, Why? but 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> Guess what shirt I got? Uh, snakes and beer. That was that was top three, but wasn't that one? <laughs> um, probably Condra snub. Oh, Condro song. Like yeah, how could I not remember that one? But you're like you're the, oh, you're the other proud. side of the oh. snobbery. You're the you're the designer snobbery, the mix everything together and get pretty colors type of snobbery. Condro Frankenstein t shirts, and that's what I would have bought. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that's a that's a fun one to be. I saw your I saw your update of uh, of the plague. Yeah, so I two animals this week from 2018, two of my home. And since you brought it up, you know, I always I've got two animals outside that I'm going to show you real quick. These are both 2018 animals. They are animals from the repeat pairing that produced the sickness. That's Jaeger, Wamina locality type female. And so I posted this picture, this animal today for the first time. This is little fruit fly. Yeah, but those are full. Those are full ones. Okay. Bill, he is back. Welcome back. All right. I'm inside. Let's see if the quality is any better of the, of the video because these animals are pretty cool. Remind me again, who? what pairing was this? So this was um, Jaeger bred to a Wamina type. This was the pairing that produced the sickness. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, and, that was, and that was four years ago. Oh, wow. What is your oldest green tree you have currently? I've had that Wamina female was the first, maybe the second that I ever got. And she was an adult when I got her, and I've had her 10 years. Whoa. So she's probably 15 to 20, if I had to guess. How'd you, those stories are always fun. How'd you acquire an adult female? You know, it's not that hard to acquire an adult female green tree. The problem is, is it's a big risk if you do it. A lot of times they don't settle in well. Um, so it, it's not that hard to acquire one. Almost all of them will be long-term or not even long-term cap um, imported animals. So it's always kind of a risk when you get one. Um, but she worked out well. Uh, the blue cyclops that I got, you know, she was very similar story, although she was um, in captivity for a long time before I got her. It's still a risk anytime you transport and set up an adult, especially female, uh, and then and then try to breed her. I mean, all those things are risks. and. So I tell anybody, a lot of people want to like get an adult green tree female and then breed her. And that's a recipe for disaster. You got to let her set, settle in a minimum. I tell people a minimum of 12 months, you know, wow. get her and just don't mess with her for a year. And maybe really? breed her the next year. Yeah. Fine. And but, were those the, the two animals that really started your green tree collection? Um, yeah, those were the top. I got a couple animals between, um, her and then Jaeger, the father, but yeah, they were they were pretty close to the beginning of of kind of my collection. 
And then how soon after that did you start breeding? Um, my first breeding was probably seven years ago, and it was two Aru um, locality type animals. That was my first pairing. And then they were actually my second year to produce uh, chondros. Mm-hmm. And I was talking I was talking to somebody today. I lost a lot of those babies. I lost like eight. eight. Wow. She laid a nice big clutch. She had 23 babies that hatched, and I lost eight or nine of them. And so I just keep thinking how many sicknesses I lost that first, <laughs> that first, you know. Yeah, but you can't get that lucky right off the bat. That's not fair. <laughs> so the rest of I know. It wouldn't have been fair, but. Yeah, that's not for a little bit. I'm a greedy person, so I always have to think about, like, what could have been. So, so that's okay. amazing. So you, you were pretty successful off the rip, though, as far as the, the breeding part goes. All things considered, I was very successful successful slash lucky you know and you hatched them as well right not just breeding them hatching them too hatched them and then you know the 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 triple triad is getting the babies established you know breed them successfully get fertile eggs incubate the eggs successfully and then get those babies established is you know there's lots of chains would you say that those are all equally as difficult or is some more difficult than the other vice versa Uh, uh, I don't know. It's pretty close. Uh, I get excited when I see him lock, but I don't get that excited because <laughs> <I mean, laughs> so many things can happen. They, she could not go. She could slug out. That egg can go bad. She can get egg bound. I mean, I just don't get that excited when I see them lock. Um, I see them lock a lot, and then I start seeing her act gravid. Then I start to get a little more excited. When I see a female ovulate, I get real excited. You know, that's like to get a female ovulate, I think a good ovulation, I think you're about 50% of the way there. What does an ovulation look like exactly in a green tree? It looks big. I mean, they, they can be variable. Um, I know Mark, one of his females ovulated this year and he really had to go by the pictures to tell, like he, he missed it. I mean, he took a picture of it because I think she's developing follicles. Um, but she had ovulated and it just took us looking at some pictures. But then I've had some girls where I was concerned that, that they were going to die because the ovulation was so big. They could barely hang onto the perch. Um, they, they just looked terrible. And I just had, you just have to close the door and walk away and say, please don't die. Wow. And so, so you're not feeding or doing anything at that point. There are all off feed at that point. Usually it's, you know, they've stopped eating or, or I've stopped feeding them, you know, month, a month or months before they ovulate. And then what are you doing for, I know that the lay box can be a tricky situation. Um, how do you ensure that she lays eggs properly and everyone's safe? Yeah, that's a good question. And people do it different ways. Um, Gary Schiavino, he doesn't even have a lay box. He just will remove all but the very bottom perch, fill the bottom of the cage with sphagnum moss that's like six inches deep. Um, so if she happens to drop off the perch, it'll be something soft for her to drop in. Um, but I personally will remove all the perches and uh, just have a very small water bowl because they're dumb enough to lay their eggs in their, in their water dish. And um, you know, just see how they do in that egg box. And I have never locked a female in her egg box. 
I've had a couple females where I wish I had because mm-hmm. they will literally lay the eggs on top of the egg box. And, you know, there's even a chance that they can roll off and hit the floor, and, you know, da- be damaged. I know Buddy Bashemi, he locks his females in the egg box um, when, you know, when they get close. The problem is that you don't always know when they get close. I mean, they're, right. They're you don't want to lock them in there for long or. Yeah, for days and days or whatever. They're real inconsistent after their ovulation and after their um, post ovulation shed when they'll lay their eggs. And a lot of times they'll just miss that shed. So then you really, you know, sometimes it's hard, you know, it's hard to know. Um, is there anyone who you've heard who leaves the purchase in during that time? And I feel like there'd be risks to that, but I really don't know. Nobody that I know that has had long-term success leaves their purchase in. I mean, I, sometimes it can just happen and you don't know. She's gravid and she lays off the perch but i know certainly more than a handful of times where they just drop from their perch and you come in and there's just a bunch of freaking broken eggs on the bottom of the perch gotcha so yeah you definitely wouldn't ever want to leave (laughs) those perches in there no when you you know when you know she's gravid and if you you know if you're paying attention to your animals and you've got a little experience you know uh, you know you know when they're gravid and you know when they're close and um it's just time to get those perches out or certainly get the, the the higher ones out. Right, right. So that they're close to the ground or close to the substrate so that even if it's, you know, if it drops, it's not dropping far. Exactly. And then even when they do drop them, or are they often erratic or are they doing like classic beehives around their eggs? Uh, they can be both, but they're more erratic than, say, the ball pythons. Ball pythons, when they spit out an egg, it's usually for a reason. It's usually, you know, at least half the time they're non-viable. But green trees will, they'll spit eggs out. They're fine. Hmm. So they're, they're just a little more erratic. And I was have having you, go ahead. I was going to say, I was having this discussion with um, Patrick uh, Holmes yesterday. He came by and we were talking about how he really thinks, especially the designer green tree females are, are, um, not as good mothers as the locality types. Hmm. Much, much more likely to do stupid stuff and not keep them wrapped. And, you know, so yeah. I don't know. It's not, it's something that I haven't really been privy to because I've really only ever bred one designer green tree. And, and come to think of it, she was a pretty shitty mom. She's the one that laid on top of her nest box and didn't wrap like half the clutch. Wow. So maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Well, what is the distinction between the, do you happen to know the, the Northern and Southern species as far as localities go? Like which one is which species and all that good stuff. And. Well, it's, it seems like it's always evolving because now they got, you know, Zora and Virtus. So now there's at least two distinct um, subspecies of green trees. And a lot of people think there's there can be up to five. Like, you know, a lot of people think Bioc is going to come out and be a separate um, subspecies. Or Rue is going to be a separate subspecies. Um, but I'm not a real great resource information on the locality stuff because I just don't work with it a lot. I've never been to Indo. Um, 
but basically there's a mountain range that runs uh, across Indonesia from east to west, and that's what separates the northern from the southern uh, locality animals. Right. And I know Jessica's going I have two egg questions. Okay. Um, Sorry, I got off the egg thing. Yeah, I wasn't ready. No, either was I. I just got sedged. Uh, Sidestrapped. 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 Do you notice a difference in the eggs between any of the localities or like the northern and the southern? Um, most of the localities that I have bred have been northern um, girls, and I haven't really noticed a big difference in, in the egg size. I mean, they're, they're pretty consistent. Uh, I'll just say that usually the smaller the clutch, the bigger the egg which just, you know, kind of tends to make right. sense uh, anatomically. Uh, yeah, you Getting get a big clutch. Yeah, more, more room in there. You get a big clutch, you know, uh, eight, you know I've had 18 eggs, 20, 23 eggs, and they're going to be small. You know, even in the largest, even in the big girls that you breed, the eggs are going to be real small. Would you prefer the smaller clutch, bigger animal? Is it easier to feed or is it is there no consistency between that? There's no doubt it's easier. Like my very first clutch, it, it was a roux to a roux. And I think I got seven or eight eggs. They were big eggs. The babies came out big and they just fed like champs. I was like, man, this green tree stuff's easy. You know, what, <laughs> what's everybody talking about? Every one of mine ate like the first time I offered it. You know, and I was like, man, this is awesome. And then my the second year, my second clutch came, I had 23 eggs, and that was a disaster. You know, that was, you know, that's 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 the clutch that I lost. Like, I lost at least eight of those babies. And it was because of my, just my lack of experience dealing with them. It's very uncommon for me to lose a baby now due to feeding. I've lost one due to a prolapse issue. I've lost one that was just a super tiny runt and I got it to eat. And I think even though it was the smallest mouse pink that I could find this literally, you know, this thing had literally just been born and I fed it to it and it ate it and, but it was dead the next day. I think it was just too big of me. Now, have you ever tried maternal incubation? Hell no. <laughs> No way. After what I just said about the Condros, Joe, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, they're too man? crazy. They're, they're going to do weird, too many weird things. I can imagine. They cannot be People trusted. People do that, right? I mean, the females are probably skeletors when they get out of it, but I mean. They, they do do it, and I think it's the coolest thing. I think it's more common in carpet. Carpet guys will do it, and and have really good success. And I think it's so cool to see a picture of little baby head sticking out under a wrapped, you know, carpet or green tree. I can't even remember the last time I've heard of somebody successfully maternally incubating green trees. I, I know it happens, but I can't think of it. You could be, you could be uh, the next First one, Bill, thing. you know, or you could be the next one. So, yeah, uh, no, I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah. You're the representative. Uh, so we, we deem you the person to do it. <laughs> and I'm sure no you'll be in the egg box. <laughs> if I did that, 
if I did that, Buddy would kill me, first of all. If he found out I was maternally incubating chondro eggs, he would he would fly to Texas and he would kill me. <laughs> no, I, can't, I can't do it for that reason alone. <laughs> so would it be deemed irresponsible to do so at this point? I mean, you might as no, well just I, artificially do so? or I would never say anybody was irresponsible to do it. I think it's uh, I think you could learn a ton from it. Um, I think it would be really cool. I just think you're, if you want to get, you know, higher success yield in your clutch, you're going to uh, artificially incubate. Right. And what temps are you incubating at? 87, 88. Right in there. Do you Usually keep in the same incubator as you do your ball python eggs? Everything. Ball yeah. python eggs, carpet pythons, green trees. Yeah, they all get in there at that 87 to 88 range. Different maintenance level on the green tree eggs and the ball python eggs? Different what? Maintenance level on the BP eggs versus the green tree eggs? They're all eggs. They're all the same to me. I put them in there and try not to think about them. I don't believe you. They seem harder. <laughs> it's true. Ask anybody. And I've incubated plenty of different eggs for different people, ball python eggs and green tree eggs. And they all get the same treatment. They get put in the same tub and put in the same incubator. And I think literally I was talking with Mark Hager about this. I incubated well, now I'm incubating his second clutch of the year. Because <laughs> I, I, I incubated his, <laughs> why he's traveling to Germany. That's where he is right now. So I'm taking, I'm incubating his second clutch of eggs and I'm taking care of his newborn neonates while he's wow. in Germany. So I hope I mean, he brings you back something good from Germany. Better bring me back a good beer, nice German beer. <laughs> But anyway, he was saying that it was just so um, he didn't have to think about the eggs every day, you know, because he, he said if they were in my house, I'd be in there just like I, I just know him. He'd want to be just open up that incubator like all the time and looking in the egg box and you just setting yourself up for disaster to do that. Just put them in there, leave them alone. I, I candle them when they when they're first laid, but I never touch them. I don't pick them up. I don't recandle them. I just try to forget about them. The only thing that I make sure is my boxes are pretty tight and they can run pretty wet. So I make sure there's not um, condensation on the lid. It's usually not an issue until you're s several weeks in. So there's really no reason to even open the box for the first couple of weeks. And then when you do see that condensation, like what, what are your steps after that? Yeah, there's a couple things you can do. I just take a paper towel and I wipe the lid put the lid back. Buddy will actually tilt his um, tubs so the condensation will run down the side and mm. not drip directly on the egg if it builds up. So, that kind of scares me. I don't know. Thinking about eggs and tilting just makes me nervous. A little bit. Yeah, because, you know, we I just use water substrate. And if you obviously, if you tilt that tub too much, you're going to get water from the bottom coming up you know, on that right. one side that's down and you certainly don't want water um, settling on the bottom of, the, of your eggs. Mm. And are you a no air holes guy? So this is what I do. I put air holes in, but then I put tape across it. And then so the first two, three weeks, it's essentially completely sealed. But, you know, that egg box is like a dynamic chamber, right? It's changing. 
And as those babies are developed, getting more developed, it's a, it's an exothermic reaction. I mean, they are releasing heat and with that heat comes moisture. So usually about halfway through the incubation, I'll take that tape off and let more ventilation in the box. Gotcha. Mm. Interesting. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. And I guess people will want to know what kind of incubator you're running. Uh, old school, just a, a Snapple machine that's you're been damn right. converted uh, a couple times. And I give full credit. A uh, good friend of mine, he's part of Phoenix Reptiles. His name's Logan Murray. He's not a big chondro guy. He's got several chondros. Um, but he is my bread and butter with a lot of stuff in that incubator. You know, he has worked through and really helped me uh, just really get it keyed in. And I was, again, I was talking to Mark because Mark uh, Hager just, just got an incubator. He just got a hot box incubator. And I said, it, I thought it took me at least three breeding seasons to get my incubator dialed in. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's luckily I was incubating ball python eggs then and not green tree eggs. Because I lost ball python clutches due to just incubator mismanagement. So what so, kind of things can you do to avoid problems like that? Like what kind of issues did you see in the beginning and how do you mitigate them? I had inconsistent heat. I mean, you know, I, I right now my incubator will run a half degree is the only is the variation that I see. When I first had it set up, it was running two degrees, you know, variance. And um I just had a tendency for that incubator to run dry. Even if I was using, um, you know, 100% water for the substrate in the boxes, my incubator would run dry. So I had to put a large pan of water in the bottom with a fan just to keep the ambient humidity of the of the incubator, you know, 50 or 60%. That enabled the boxes, the egg boxes, you know, to get that 100% humidity, which is what I really, really like when I'm, you know, incubating eggs. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, your incubator seems like just as much. um, It's it's something that you need to dial in over time, not necessarily something that, you know, you set it and forget it, at least when you're when maybe when you're just building your own. But I don't know. I've never been lucky enough to have an experience with a commercial incubator or any of that fancy stuff. I don't know how that works. We just don't need it. Maybe they're dialed in from day one. You know, I don't know, um, but obviously the prudent thing to do is to have that thing up and running for an extended period of time, and not just your incubator, your egg boxes too. You know, because your the the design of your egg box, two egg boxes can act completely different in the same incubator depending on the the size, the ventilation, the surface area, all that stuff. And what sizes do you typically use, and do they differ from green trees to things like ball pythons? Um, I use this. I usually I tend to use a smaller box for the green tree um, eggs, but uh, you know they're really they have the same characteristics. They're they're very well sealed boxes, whether it's the uh, tub where the lid sink in, or you have latches on the outside of the tub that can really get a, a nice. Um, you know, firm sealing of the box. And in Texas, do you have any issues with like, you know, here we're talking about our fruit fly thing, but uh, you have any pests or anything going on that you need to mitigate? 
Uh, well, you lived in Texas. Yeah. You know the drill down here. Um, you know, big flies, you know, would be my issue. And obviously, if, if something goes bad in the incubator, it doesn't take long just for the gnats, you know, to, to get out of control. So got to be pretty vigilant and making sure you get any dead eggs out of there. Yeah, absolutely. And then for uh, how many days do they typically take to hatch out? About 50 days. 49, 50 days is what the book will tell you. If you incubate them at 87 to 88 degrees, I found that to be pretty pretty consistent. So that's actually pretty fast for uh, for a python. Yeah, a little bit faster. The ball pythons will go you know, another week longer than that or 10 days sometimes. Um, but yeah, I would say on the relative timeline, it's, it's pretty quick. Um, okay, kind of different question. Um, over the years, do you have like a kind of ratio in mind that you want to keep like your ball python breeding to green tree or like are you always trying to keep it balanced? Is there always more green trees and, green trees and ball pythons? What has been like your thoughts over the years? Oh, I've got way more many ball pythons than I do green tree pythons. Really? Oh, oh yeah. What, it's funny because you're like you're known, you're known for, for the green, green trees, trees, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's just because I think Joe, we addressed this um, on the little episode that we did last week. It's just the niche that I've fallen into. Um, I tend to produce. Um, I say a lot. It's, a lot is relative, but maybe 300 ball python babies a year, but they're all like low yeah, end, mid end stuff. It, I mean, it's a lot to take care of, uh, but they're like the lower end or kind of mid end uh, spectrum of people that, you know, price range and what's uh, like rare or whatever. Um, but then, you know, the green trees, I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. I produce designer stuff and, you know, I, I feel lucky this year I got two clutches and that, that was a good year. I've never, I've never had more than two clutches in a year of green trees, but I will routinely, you know, do 30, 40 clutches of ball pythons. Right. Yeah. I think it's just the people who we see clutches from consistently year after year with green trees. You're like, you're already like high level status. Even if you, you know, even if you hatch out a couple of clutches consistently year after year, that's still impressive. I mean, yeah, it's really weird. And obviously it's a numbers game. I mean, I, it's just more, um, it's more difficult to take care. Of. I can take care of so many more ball pythons in the same space that I can green trees. And they're just, they're just easier. Um, not necessarily easier to keep, but they're a lot easier to breed and to get babies established, all of that. So the green tree is just kind of a, you know, it, it's a numbers game. Um, you just, uh, Patrick and I were talking that, you know, to, to have a pretty um, consistent year of producing a clutch or two clutches, you know, you're looking at like, well, maybe keep 12 females and four males. You know, that's, that's kind of the number game that you're looking at to, to consistently produce green trees. On the ball python side, are you trying to increase um, your breeding? Are you at your max trying to decrease? I'm probably pretty close to where I want to be right now. Um, obviously, this year I've had more time on my hands, um, but I don't want to overburden myself, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 300 is already. 
and I do, I mean, I do have some help too. I've got, you know, some guys that are part-time guys are very loyal to me and they're just very good to me and help me with the, you know, the, the weekly maintenance on the ball Python stuff. So it enables me to really hone down on the breeding and the pairings and, you know, even with the ball pythons, they're more work to sell. You know, you've got to take good pictures. You've got to post them in different places. You've got to vent shows. You know, these green trees, I mean, they're, they're sold, you know, before I even put the pair together, people are, you know, if you ever put this with that, can I give you a deposit now? You know, you know, the, the, the ball pythons, you have to, you got to hustle it, which I don't mind. I like that part of it, but it's just different. But do you love when you're like, ah, green tree person just wants to give me their money and doesn't want to haggle me or ask me annoying things? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> when you like, but I think it's like you either choose to do the competition in the beginning, where it's like you're competing just to get the snake to breed, or competing with a million people to sell the same snake. I feel like no matter what, it's a competition. You're doing you're doing your work yeah. either at the beginning or at the end. There. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I don't know. There's just so many ball python people that are afraid to like take the plunge into green trees. They they think it's such a foreign species to they've been successful for maybe decades, you know, doing ball pythons, but they're just so uh, like a timid or afraid by getting into doing green trees. Uh, I don't know why exactly. Um, I can't keep ball pythons. I suck at them. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at them. <laughs> they just don't how, agree with me. How is that even possible? I don't, I don't know. know. It's the live feeding. It's the non-feeding. Yeah. yeah. It's a lack yeah. of feeding. Yeah. I mean, we've just built up this not love for them. <laughs> no, I mean, I must. I I mean, I haven't. I've never even kept all pythons. And I'm just like, nope, no interest. I think we're just too spoiled with corn. We're on easy street here. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, I mean, it's funny. And there's people that are like that with green trees, too. Eric Burke, who is... I value as one of the most experienced keeper of snakes probably in the United States. I mean, that guy's kept, he's grown up with it. His dad, you know, was a big reptile guy. Uh, Eric has kept a bunch, you know, of different species. He's very knowledgeable, but he had two green trees die on him. He's like, that's it. I'm done. You know, he just, he thinks he kills green trees. Like you don't kill green trees. You know, sometimes things happen. Let's you we know, get let's these things in our head. Yeah, we get. Well, these I don't kill green like trees, but I <laughs> may kill a ball python. May. <laughs> it take a long. Might, yeah, it would take a long time to kill a ball python. I think, but. Well, I mean, I. I'm not trying to push ball pythons on you <laughs> or your audience or your audience. I like them. It's a great. I think it's a great first time snake. It's a gateway snake, you know, for a lot of people. Everyone's everyone's got to have at least one ball python. It's sometime in their life. Works. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, you've been breeding multiple years. Are there still new things that you've know, or like things that have never happened before during the breeding process, like with either the eggs or with your females? Like for us this year, some of our eggs started developing this weird green tint. It's not like they were going bad. It was like moldy. 
but it was just like radioactive like green. It was weird. Yeah, and yeah. so, yeah, Travis Weinman, we like texted him and I was like, what is this? We I'd never seen it before. Oh, shoot. I'd never seen it before. This weird greenness. Um, and he explained in really high scientific words that I don't know. Um, but yeah, have you noticed like new things happening, even though you've been breeding for so long? It's funny you mentioned that. I have a ball python clutch right now. It was just laid four or five days ago. Exact same thing. But except they came out almost this greenish tint. Really? Came and out that way. Came out that way. And I've seen that before, the ball python eggs. And they, at least in the past, they've done fine. But yeah, it's just a little, definitely not the pearly white like you're used to. These had a definite greenish hue to them. Yeah, I mean, so ours came that. out fine. They were fine. It was just, it's weird how, I don't know. I'm like, if you do the same thing, why do different things happen? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yep, I, I know. I, um, I have. I don't know. I really don't. I can't give you a scientific explanation, but I, I've seen that. I did have my very first baby um, green tree prolapse this year. And I've been um, super lucky in that respect that I've not had, I've had an adult prolapse before, the, the older adult male that I got in um, on a trade um, and he never established well and he was probably dehydrated and he prolapsed. But I had a baby prolapse for the first time this year. So, you know, I dealt with that. Um, that was a good learning experience. But again, you wonder, you know, I've kept these things, you know, the exact same way for many, many years and you know, fed them the exact same meals at the exact same time and, you know, from the exact same source, everything's exactly the same, except I have a, you know, a baby prolapse. So you know, why did that happen? Right. You know, just don't know. Yeah. But that yeah. Pro, prolapse, prolapse in baby green trees is, I, I was very, very lucky to have gone and produce as many babies as I have and not have to deal with a prolapse. Well, I'm one for one and I have one, <laughs> but it survived. I got it got surgery, stitched it up and uh, yeah. still kicking. But um, yeah, and I think my issue was I fed a rat crawler, which I didn't know that rats were kind of a no no for green trees, even though some people are like, whatever, do whatever you want. But yeah. I have since abstained because when that prolapse happened, I like I found like undigested you yes. know, rodent in there. So I figured that that was, it couldn't digest the rat for whatever reason and popped it out. But, um, you know, I don't have, I've heard that that happens, but I don't know hundred percent sure. I don't know if you have more to add to that. I do actually. It's funny that you mentioned that, um, because I do feed my large adult females rats on occasion, especially if I'm trying to put some size on them before I breed them. Um, their diet primarily is mice, but I, I will, I'll feed a small rat, you know, on occasion, maybe one out of every four times. But I've got one girl. In fact, it's the Wamina, the, uh, the girl that produced the sickness. And I fed her a rat one time and it was the exact same thing. She didn't prolapse, but the undigested amount of rat that came out of her was like, oh man, she's never getting another rat again. Mm. So I think. I think there's, you know, obviously there's some of them that don't tolerate it. I don't know why. Did you see what Dan said in the chat? He says he has an IJ that prolapses every time he feeds it. Really? I'm like, wait, Dan. <laughs> that, to me, that's 
Yeah, that you know, that's like an anatomic defect. A cloacoplasty. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to you using the big words. Yeah. Well, you can put him to sleep for us, Bill. And I'll, I'll, I'll do the cloacoplasty. <laughs> you must have been an ob in your former life. Uh, I cannot even ever see Joe ever doing that. Well, I don't <laughs> No comment. No, you would not be. Wow. Okay. I'm Let sorry. everyone know. Maybe your past oh. life. Did you? I already what? told you. I'm sorry. At a total side note, did you hear about the OBGYN who delivered someone else's baby right before she had her own baby? <laughs> I, just, I did not hear about that story, but it doesn't surprise me at all. I've had. I know. I know of an OBGYN that delivered a baby on the same day that she had her baby. People, women are so awesome. Let's just, I've just been really proud about this story for the last like four days. I've been telling everyone. She literally was it's about. It's not fair. I don't even get a chance to get pregnant in the first place. Oh, and do then you I want can't that? Deliver another do you baby want that chance, time, babe? So I will. If, I if you it. find a way, I will give you that no, chance to have our I'm baby. Good. Please, okay. please get that chance. I'm okay. <laughs> Melissa, Melissa, what about if she would have delivered a baby and then on the same day delivered her own baby? That's what she did. Well, she didn't deliver her own baby. She had it. But yes, that would be crazy. Sorry. I'm like, wait, no, that would have been next level. If like something happened, she had to deliver her own too. That would have been no. truly crazy. That, but I mean, it was still been. really close. <laughs> she was getting ready to be induced. And she heard the nurses next door talking to this woman whose OBGYN wasn't there yet. And so she just literally put on a back to her gown, put on some boots in her hospital gown, went and delivered this baby, and then came back and was induced. And That's crazy, like, right? It's so crazy. And you guys what just get she- to sit there. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> I didn't choose it. Well, Sorry. thank you guys for listening to The Stork's <laughs> Nest. We focus on birthing stories and the heroes around it. Sorry. Thank you all for listening. I just really like that. Story. Speaking of birthing, Bill. Birthing? Birthing. That's not. Or hatching. I'm not, I'm not having any more kids. No way. <laughs> not going to bring Good them to you. the new uh, the new location? Not going to happen. Your turn. It's y'all's turn. <laughs> yeah we just uh, talked about that <laughs> you see how close we are to that uh, <laughs> yeah. so uh do you cut your eggs <laughs> there you go nice transition <laughs> talking about babies uh do you cut your eggs trying to change this, the topic huh uh, yes i will pip my eggs usually it depends on how far the clutch has gone if they've gone to day 50 and i see one or two pip then i pip the rest of the clutch if i'm a couple of days short and one sticks its head out, I might wait 24 hours and then pip the rest of the clutch. But, yeah, I, I definitely pip the, the green trees, the ball pythons. Um, Nick Mutton had a very uh, interesting post about there's, you know, recently been this big push to not cut your eggs. It's, you know, let nature do its thing, all that kind of stuff. And I thought Nick Mutton had a really good post about the reason why you do cut eggs. And if you have enough experience and you've pulled enough dead animals out of the eggs, um, then you'll see the reasons for cutting them and cutting them properly. You know, I've seen people that have taken, you know, half the egg shell off. And, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about making a small slit in the egg so when they're ready to come out, they can get that head through. Um, you know, I will we'll go back to the to the OB-GYN um, similarities. <laughs> I refer, you know, it's like a C-section, right? I mean, 
you know, we do C-sections when the baby doesn't come out and everybody knows it's supposed to come out and it puts the mother and the baby at risk. You do a C-section, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's the same thing. Right. So you're just, in general, you are increasing your chances since you are in captivity, keeping snakes in boxes. You want to exactly. give them the best chance. Exactly. I mean, right. I mean, what do you guys do? We tend to not cut, but corns are just different. Um, I think we cut, we've cut when like two have pipped and already come out of the egg. And then there's others who are like, wait, like this like is. We caught a weird one like three days out. It was actually yeah. the, the rest of the eggs were still born. And then the one was actually, I wasn't expecting it. Like I cut it out of the egg because I was like, I'm looking we at all these still born babies. Right. We thought, thought it was dead. It. And so it was like, it was like the fourth one I cut. I was all over it. Like, cause I'm like, oh damn, well, all these were dead. So this one's going to be dead too. But I was still luckily careful enough, but it came out and it was alive. And I'm like, is that because it's a late bloomer or because it didn't have it? I'm not going to say it didn't have an egg tooth. I don't know, but, but we luckily we were able to get that baby. That one. So two had come out and like had pips come out and everything and like, okay, now we need to cut the rest. Like there's, it's been too many days and we cut them. And then there was the, no, I think it was like the last or close to the end. There was that one last one that somehow was still alive in there. I uh, think y'all saved a life. That's what I think. It was great. We lost a shit ton. I mean, we lost a <laughs> <laughs> you, killed a, you killed a bunch too. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Save the one or what is it? Save. I don't know. Never mind. I, I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of the way it goes. But I mean, we don't take a complete Darwinian stance to it to where, okay. you know, if they don't get out themselves, they didn't earn they it to survive. To yeah, none of these yeah, are meant I mean, to survive anywhere. They're really, <laughs> these things are fucking purple, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were never meant to be. No. I think it's probably different for different species. Like I would never tell you, Joe, cut corn, corn eggs, you know, cause I don't have any experience, you know, hatching out, out corn. So I think there can be a difference in, you know, in the species. I think there's um, also like kind of a cultural thing, like subcultural thing where we as corn snake breeders, we have so many of them that often they don't care about one or two. So I don't think anyone thinks about cutting or people aren't we're worried about so what anxious or, that we have to cut it. I, I think also. I think that's a great point, and and to um, to expound on that, I'll do the same thing. Like with ball pythons, and I, I get a ball python baby that you know doesn't eat or won't eat. Maybe I'll assist feed it once. If he doesn't eat after that, you know he's going in the freezer. But I will work with the baby green great. tree. You know I will work with it, and it just it is what it is. Um, it just is what it is. So talking about getting babies started, what are some of your methods once that baby is hashed out and good to go? Um, how long do you wait? Like, what's your process? Yeah, And how long do you wait before you separate them? Mm, that's a good one. I separate like the ball pythons. They all come out of the egg. They all go get in one tub and they, they just all stay together until they have their first shed. The green trees I separate right away. Um, and what's and the reason that? The reasoning is primarily because I I think it's really important to hydrate baby green trees um, before they have that first shed. So I will use the only substrate I'll use is water, just like a 
a millimeter of water on the bottom of the tub, and then I put a coat hanger in there for the perch. And they, you know, they perch as soon as they come out of the egg. Mm-hmm. But what I will often do is usually every other day I will remove that perch and I'll just set it in the bottom of the tub. So it's essentially soaking the baby. Um, and so I think hydration is really important for baby green trees early, you know, in their life. So that's one of the reasons that I do it because it would just be very hard to, you know, soak six or eight or 10 or 20, right. you know, baby green trees in the same tub. So that's one reason I do it. And, um, I will probably initiate feeding trials a little bit earlier in green trees than, than ball pythons. A lot of people have gone now to they'll even introduce prey at them before that first shed. Really? Uh, I feel like that's very taboo. I know I did too. And I'm still kind of mixed on it. Um, but usually I will wait. I'll give them 10 or 12 days. And if they haven't shed, then I'll go ahead and offer you know a meal. I'm not... I'm not real aggressive with it, but I'll certainly I'll offer it. They don't want to eat. They don't eat. And I just, I'll try again after they shed, but that's kind of my practice. Yeah. I always, I always wonder if you can get a baby to eat right from pipping. <laughs> I never wanted to do it. It I just feels like, wrong. I don't I know like why. I've seen pictures of like someone doing it once. Oh, of course. I, There's out there. I think there's some species out there that do eat right out of the egg. <laughs> Nothing that I work with, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I'll say I think I can get a course sake to do. Do live birth ones eat too? I mean, I know nothing about that. Yeah, but like I feel bowling? like they would be different. I don't know, Bill. Have you ever bred bows? Never. All right, Never good crowd been. to ask that question. I know. Too. Sorry. <laughs> well, y'all just know about snake stuff in general, and so I thought maybe you know, we need to talk more, get more live birth people on, because I really don't know much. You're about all them. about live birth tonight. You're really on a <laughs> one way track here. She keeps coming back to it. Yeah, <laughs> let's settle down. <laughs> you you guys have had guests on, and we've had guests on that are very broad in their reptile and snake knowledge. I'm very narrow focused in my knowledge i mean i'm just you know, so you're saying all the is. books you have about snakes are only about green trees no i wouldn't say that but i just i've not kept a lot of different species of reptiles i've just kept a very s- small number you haven't though you have rough scales you have like short tails yeah areas. still compared to a lot of people that's pretty narrow focused I think. Yeah. Well, luckily, um, I mean, those are, those are animals that people have not had much success with or are not very common in the hobby. So it's like one, one pair of rough scale pythons is worth a hundred ball pythons. I think in the, in the, the hobby itself in like, uh, in a passing on the genes of rare animals. I mean, it's such a nice thing to, just to have these animals available to the general public. To me, I feel like it's so just awesome. And whether it's captive born and bred green tree pythons are the same way. Those aren't even, the the demand's so high, you guys could probably never produce enough at this point. That's the way it is right now. Um, And I, I mean, I hope that changed. I think we're getting better at the husbandry and the captive reproduction of green trees, you know, every year. I mean, I, I see more and more 
becoming available. And I just hope that continues. Is that something to where back in the day were people were people more secretive about their breeding practices and stuff like that? Do you know? I don't think so. I think, you know, one of the great things about the green tree community is they've for the most part been very transparent and that's not just techniques. That's, um, you know, animals that they've produced or, you know, they, they show this great animal, but don't want to show you what the parents were. You know, I see that a lot in the ball Python community. You know, it just pisses me off that people, you know, aren't as transparent or willing to share information until they've pretty much guaranteed that they've held enough back where they can make, you know, make money. And then that's when they'll start, you know, releasing information. And that pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition in the way it, in the way it goes. I mean, but do you find yourself being more, cause you're super social in the green tree Python world, but I don't see um, like, even if we have carpet fest, there's only a few ball Python guys hanging around. It seems like yeah. much more based in a sense. Yeah. Cause I'm not really, I don't know. It's just different. I don't feel like I'm really uh, linked into the ball Python community. And I think part of it is cause it's so big. You know, the ball python community is so big and the the chondro and even the carpet communities, it's just smaller. Uh, you know, again, it just is what it is. There's advantages and disadvantages about it, but um, you know, I just I like the I like my niche in the ball python community. I'm just kinda like under the radar. I just I like to produce um, eye candy to people. It might be their first snake or their second or their tenth. Um, but they're still real enthusiastic. A lot of times it's their first, you know, their first snake. And, um, I, I, I like that. That's what I like to do. Right. And as far as green tree pythons go, did you uh, happen to go to the first uh, or the ICAST rather in what was in Maryland or so? Yeah, I went to ICAST and I think that was in 2007, I think. And that was really you know, the first time that I, uh, I, I had carpet pythons at that time. I was either I had just gotten my first green tree python or I was thinking about getting a green tree python. And, but it was the first time I ever just like got on a plane by myself. I didn't know anybody that was going to be there. And I said, I'm just going to go and see what this is all about. And I had the best time, you know. So you were not nobody, friends with Buddy or anyone at that time? Didn't know any of those guys. Oh, didn't know any of them. I, I think I did have a green tree. I had, I had, I had bought one green tree. And it was actually a, a green tree python from Christian Stewart, and it was he had donated it for a Rico auction. So he donated this animal, um, and I purchased it um, in the benefit of uh, of Rico Wadler, and so I knew Christian. And I went up there, and so I met him, and then he introduced me to a bunch of people, and that's where I met Buddy and so many other people that I just, you know, now I'm such good friends with. And it was after that experience that I really got on board with the, with these Carpet Fest things because, you know, it, it was just so cool. And how was it as, like, a new guy coming in? Did you know the importance of people who were there? like say Rico or Trooper Walsh or someone like that? Did you understand at that time? Not really, to be honest. Um, you know, they, they had, they were, had a tribute to Rico, Trooper, Eugene Bissett, and one other guy that I can't remember his name, but he was another pioneer in 
the Green Tree community. And at the time, I didn't really understand the, the specialness of that. I mean, I did a little bit. I was more uh, just in tune with how cool everybody was. And, you know, you just got a name tag on and you could just walk up to anybody there and just say, hey, uh, I'm Bill Stegall. I just got my first Green Tree Python. It's awesome. You know, what do you have? And from there, you know, they're on. You know how those conversations go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I think it's something to the fact that you obviously put your money where your mouth is. So people are like, this guy's serious. He came from Texas to come here. Right. So like, even though he only has one green tree python, he's, <laughs> you know, he's he's doing his thing. The good thing for me at the time is, is that I was heavy into carpets. Um, you know, I was I had a lot of carpets. I produced a lot of carpets. And I think that was kind of a natural progression going from carpets to green trees. Um, so I could talk to people there that kept green trees and also kept carpets. So that was kind of a nice bridge. Right. But that was a very special event. And they've talked about doing ICAST too. And everybody's afraid to do it because they know it won't match the first one. Right. I think it, it could. Why? Why don't they think it would match it? I don't, I mean, the people that were there, you know, Rico was like, he's the godfather of Condros, you know, and he's no longer here. And, you know, I think that's part of it. Is there a godfather of Condros? Well, Trooper would be like the other one, right? And Eugene. Yeah, Yeah, but Rico was, you know, and I didn't know Rico. I met Rico at ICAST for the first time. And I shook his hand and I said, hello, it's great to meet you. And then I never talked to him again because there were so many people that were there that had known him for a decade that just, they are the ones that wanted to talk to him and essentially say their goodbyes because he did not look very good at ICAST. So I didn't spend a lot of time with him. I just didn't feel like it was right. Um, but he, he was special, not only because of his knowledge about green trees, because of his willingness just to share that knowledge. And he, you know, he would talk to anybody with any level, you know, he, even though this was the day before social media, he got the same questions, you know, that we all get now. I, you know, I want to buy a, a blue green tree boa. Can you send me a list of the 10 that you have available? You know, he would get those questions all the time and he was the one that would answer them all. You know, and he'd answer them all respectfully and, you know, you just, everybody felt like they always call Rico. And so he, just very, very unique individual. Sorry, sorry. Keep going. No, I mean, I I just, that that was one of the reasons I, I think it would be really hard to duplicate it. And it was, it was just not expected to be as big as it was. You know, I think a lot of people that went didn't expect it just had everything, you know, it had the scientific aspect It had people, you know, Daniel Natouche flying in from Australia, Nick Mutton coming in, you know, uh, from the West coast. And I mean, there were some big hitters there from founding members to uh, front line on the scientific aspect of all this stuff. It was seminars, symposiums, uh, display animals, Shalmir, uh, who's, um, Brad Waffa's wife came with an incredible art display. I mean, it was just like, it was, it was like a carpet fest on steroids. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I feel like 
now now there's a bunch of those events though in a sense is that there's there's smaller versions of of those events there's cover fest all over the all over the country which i think is just all over the world now yeah True. there you go last I'm weekend sad right? there was no american representation at it wasn't it, unfortunately. i didn't there, i didn't know that there wasn't but next yeah, year eric wasn't able to go but next year um but you're right it's like all these little carpet fest kind of you know are trying to bring the big people out and the influencers in it um and in your own little i think way. that like the community is just stronger i feel than ever as far as people getting together people getting face to face and people talking and people helping each other out also i agree i think it's stronger than it's been in a long long time i agree 100 percent you're right. The number of carpet fests seems to be growing every year and the attendance just keeps mm-hmm. getting bigger. And it's just so refreshing to see in this day of social media and podcasts and, you know, all these shows that you can actually get out and interact with a human being, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think it's that, I don't know if people realize that as at least when I started things like Moralia, and green tree pythons, that kind of thing was green tree pythons were a little bit more in the front because obviously how they look. But as far as the people who were keeping them, and that was a rare like subsection of the hobby that like those are uh, that's a very small niche group. So the fact is. that you're doing things around the world is like just mind boggling. When I entered the community, um, I felt exactly that same way, um, Joe. I, I was like, you know, I had kept ball pythons and produced some high-end like carpet pythons for a decade before I got a, a green tree but I was still extremely nervous like entering that community that was back in the day of the MVF you know where you had like going and introduce yourself and so I made like an introductory post and I wanted to make sure like there was no misspelling or all my capitalization was right and you know I just I think a lot of times people put that pressure on themselves when they enter the community but I think it's grown so much now, I think, and maybe it's just because I've been in it for a long time, but I don't think there's that same level of like, I don't know if intimidation is, is the right word, but I think a lot of people feel very freely coming into the community now as first time green tree keepers, or they want to become even better. They want to become a first time green tree keeper. Yeah, and I think on the flip side of that, there's more people willing to help people trying to become a green tree keeper breeder Maybe. or a keeper Maybe. breeder. So, um, I think we forget that people used to like hide away and mm-hmm. not really interact with each other. And if they did, it was, you know, a one-on-one basis. There wasn't much uh, a gathering of the minds per se. Yeah. I, and uh, I mean, the I, internet. Yeah, for, for better or worse. And I think we talked about it, you know, last time we talked, I, I think as far as passing of knowledge goes, it's for the better. You know, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I said, I think 90% of the stuff that I see on Facebook in the green tree groups is good information. 10% of it's not, you know, but. And that's going to happen anyway. Okay. This, I don't know how to frame this question or if it really makes sense. Um, do you feel in the green tree community there's a tighter connection between like hobby science and real science we talk a lot of times about the difference green tree guys are pretty particular but okay but i feel like because it's such a specialized thing 
the hobby science is, I don't know, I feel like it would be more close to the, the actual science. There are um, some real green tree Python nerds out there as far as like knowledge in uh, locality knowledge, um, lineage knowledge, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you know, these names like I do, like like Patrick Holmes is a, you know, he and I'm, I'm totally serious. He knows more about the lineage of the animals at my place than I do. Like he comes <laughs> and he goes. He goes, he goes, what was this? And I go, um, oh, David Newman produced that. And he goes, uh, what was the pairing? And I'm like, uh, I, I can't remember. It's uh, six years old. He goes, oh, that must have been uh, Diablo Tinley. You know, I mean, he, he just he just spouts out all this information. You know, he knows more about my collection than I do. And people like Forrest Fanning are the same way. You know, he can talk about a, an individual animal that was produced, you know, 20 years ago by Trooper. And then there's other guys like Harlan Wall, who, you know, he's a walking encyclopedia about locality stuff. So and I think that there are in great degrees more than many other of the other species. Maybe. I mean, what do you think, Joe? We saw the biggest polarization between the monitor guys, I feel. Mm, oh, there yeah. Are guys, there are guys that are only into human animal interaction there's guys who say never mess with your animal there's guys that focus primarily on the feeding diverse foods that they give the animals there's people who just focus on building the best cages bioactive soil and they're all like competing ideas and they all have their own ideas on how to do it that's like the most interesting um, yeah, interesting but i think the green tree guys are weird how that there's northern species southern species and denim touche did all the research and there's possibly even the Australian animals. Maybe they're different also, yep. but you guys don't care about the species or hybrids or you'll breed them all together. And I'm sure there's people that, that do care, but I feel like it's funny that that's a little bit more lax. It seems in the green tree people. Oh, absolutely. It's um, there are very few people that, you know, will get on and um, try to bash designer animals it just it doesn't happen but it certainly does in the carpet community i mean mm. you know i rode that battle and that battle still happens there you know for a long time because when i was heavy into carpets i was the same frankenstein there that i was that i am with green trees i wanted to produce the most gnarliest you know thing that you would never find in nature that's what i want you know that's what i wanted to do and you know there's a section of the carpet community that is not no bueno with that you find it a lot less in the green tree. Now there'll be some people that say, I just prefer locality stuff like Gary Schiavino. You know, he wants to really hone down manicories. You know, he loves to work with the manicories and he wants to make the absolute best, you know, captive produced manicories that he can, but he doesn't care that I produce designer green trees. Now he's pissed when I produce carpondros. <laughs> that was all over the line. Um, <laughs> But he doesn't care that I've produced designer stuff. And, you know, now that we have found these different uh, races, you know, the northern, the southern, the Australian, the BIAC, you know, Aru, all these things are going to, you know, now you're really, you know, kind of poo-pooing the whole purity thing, right? Yeah. And what so. is purity but just our own? I mean, it's in captivity. 
I understand Correct. if it obviously made a lackluster animal, but it's it sounds like it just makes shitty mothers of your animals. <laughs> but that's <not> good. <laughs> you know, if we were doing this in a conservation effort, you know, like there are, you know, there are there are no more biok green trees in the world. We have to collect them in captivity, and the five that we have left, we must reproduce and repopulate the island of biok. Yeah, that's one thing. That's not what we're doing. You know, Which I feel doing, like maybe that's where the Morelia uh, mindset comes from a lot because they have Australian animals. There's a finite – it seems very finite. So once you mix it out, you can't undo it. You guys have a steady you know, amount of imports consistently. So That's true. That's true. But the point but, is, is we're all yeah, – I mean, You better not start crossing that stuff apart. You know, like I'm sure there's other lines that exist. Yeah. But, you know, the bottom line is, is that 99% of us are doing this for our own enjoyment. You know, we're, it's not a conservation um, right. effort to repopulate some species that's getting ready to go extinct. You know, we're, we're doing this for our own entertainment and do what you like. If you like, you know, locality stuff, do locality. If you like, you know, pure uh, carpet python, in, you know, breedings, do that. If you don't, you know, it's... Like Eric says, you know, you do you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly you it. You do you. <laughs> Keep on convincing yourself that a green snake is better than a blue, black, and red one, though. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they're called green tree pythons for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not in your house. supposed to be green. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not if you have anything to do with it, though. Which <laughs> is a- damn right. like i mean that's really the best part about it right is that you're able to make your own interpretation of what this snake should look like in a way that sounds weird put it like that but it is your own like uh art project in a way it is and listen if green tree pythons were supposed to be black i'd want to make the one that was green if they were called black (laughs) tree pythons i'd want a green one i mean that's just the way i am i it's just it's the way i'm wired yeah, and then as a seasoned, you know, a seasoned keeper sees it and they're like, it's weird because a normal person will say that green one's the best. And then a seasoned keeper sees it and goes, whoa, those come in that color? Yeah. And then that's when you got someone hooked. I think a lot yeah. of people look at the sickness and say, whoa, it comes in that color. Yeah, that's true. I Pretty mean, much anyone. Anyone, even <laughs> no one's going to say a green one is better than the sickness. You, I would get their head checked if they did. I'm, there's just no way. A, a lot of the people that I just show my animals to, they love the high yellow of the green trees. Like they'll look at the sickness and go, oh, that looks really cool. And then they'll scroll and then they'll see the blue cyclops grow. Oh, that, oh that's pretty. And then they'll see like a high yellow. And really? that's the one they're really drawn to. I'm shocked. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are initially drawn to the babies, right? Right. The babies. The, oh, absolutely absolutely the babies are that's different i mean highlighter but you can't even connect them because the red baby i mean you know i love red green tree babies i mean i like that over then i like the sickness as far as just looks but yeah it's not gonna be like that right there's just no way so there's no point in even getting attached to something that's going to change so you get attached to the adult you know don't date babies or that's that's the that's the second most common email that I get after. Do you have any green tree boas available? The second, the second email I get is: Do do these red babies or the, even the yellow ones? Do they stay this way? 
you know, just what it looks like as an adult. And, you know. and unfortunately, uh, you can't give them the greatest news. Fortunately, fortunately not. But, you know, what's cool is, is, you know, they take several years to go through that change. And watching the change is really fun, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's always been interesting, like just watching your babies. And then through Instagram, I can see like which ones you're holding back. And it seems like you is the dark. <laughs> I didn't want to say that uh, saying is the the darker, the cherry, the sweeter, the juice. Is that this? Is that the, uh... <laughs> the darker? The... No, I should know this. The darker the... I but can't basically, remember. are you picking the most? Dark... <laughs> are you picking the most dark red babies? Is that your method? Yeah. The, the dark, the darker babies, the more reduced pattern babies, and anything that's just odd. It, that could be a super heaven, you know, super heavily patterned animal. If the rest of the clutch is, let's say, medium, you know, medium pattern, you got a couple that are super low pattern, and you got one that's just super high pattern. Well, I'll, I'll, hold, I'll hold the things that look different. Mm-hmm. What I mean, that can be good and that can be bad. I, I've kept back some awesome animals, but I've released some awesome animals too. You know, I mean, it just, I think there's a little bit of rhyme and reason to it, but I wouldn't exactly say that I've just knocked it out of the park on the animals I've held back because I've released a couple that more than okay. a couple. Was that oh. I, the animal? Uh, is his name Ike Leitner? Is that? Did he post one of babies? Yeah, Ike's got yeah. one. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, he yeah, has I one baby. To, that's crazy looking. I told him to name that one "Regret" on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any that you but, bought back? Um, nothing that I've produced that, that I bought, purchased back, or been given back. I, I, no, I don't think so. Not that I can recall. So the regret wasn't so strong that she wanted it back. <laughs> no, because I Not tell Ike and I've, well, I was going to say, I tell Ike and I've told other people, you know, that's a great, for me, that's a great form of advertising, really. Mm-hmm. Um, people know that I'm going to release killer babies. And I release a lot of my babies early compared to, a lot of the other designer guys, other designer guys will keep their animals till they're 18 months and I'll, you know, I'll release mine as red or yellow Neos. So what I did find interesting is like that, that animal that Evan ended up getting. And it's like, you know, that yellow neonate with the red down the back, like kind of acting as a stripe. Yeah. Like how yeah. often does that happen? That's called a blaze. It's called a blaze animal. And certain um, parents are known to throw blaze animals. And that was actually a yellow baby. of. It was one of the few yellow babies that the, the sickness clutch came out of. That's predominantly red clutch. So, like, the first time I paired those animals, I got 20 red and 3 yellow. The second time I bred those, I got, like, 14 red and 4 yellow. But all of the yellows from that pairing are have that what's called blaze appearance. And that's just that really cool red stripe, dorsal stripe down, you know. Um, and it's a it's a very, very cool looking neo. 
it usually doesn't translate into anything as special as an adult. It's just cool to have as a baby and, and watch them change. Yeah, I mean, that's it's just an awesome one of those things where you're like, what the hell's going on as a baby? It just catches your eye. Of all the baby pictures like I've posted on Instagram, I think the most, uh, whatever they call them, likes or whatever, uh, was a blaze yellow. Really? Yeah, I mean, and, and and those things get picked up and they get shared by like these people that have a hundred thousand Instagram followers, like Animal Planet or something. You know, th- that's the animal that they, when they saw my page, that's the animal they picked to share. Interesting. Wait, so I don't know if you ever, if you ever like announced this out, but did you end up having anyone film at uh, your place? Yeah, that was an interesting story. Um, so it was actually going to be the um, Jaeger Bizkit clutch that has had several months ago. Um, a company that was um, contacted or contracted by National Geographic in Australia contacted me because they were have not been able to find baby green trees hatching in the wild, and they wanted to produce this one hour documentary on pythons. And that's a shot that they wanted to capture. And uh, it got word back that I had a clutch that was due to hatch, you know, in the appropriate time where this production was going to happen. And so they wanted to send somebody from Washington, D.C., a photographer down to to film this thing. And um, so we communicated back and forth for several weeks, had everything set up. Um, He was going to come in. He's going to build a little studio and essentially tried to recreate this, you know, hatching of these baby green trees. Um, and it was really weird because this guy was like going to stay in my house for like four or five days, just literally up there behind the camera. I was like, are you going to set up like a night camera with a timer on it or something? He goes, he goes, no, I'll, I'll be there for the entire time. I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's dedication. And he goes, no, we do this stuff in, out in the wild all the time. This is going to be a piece of cake if I've got like MC and I can go to the bathroom, you know. Go, okay, whatever. So he was supposed to come down. Um, I'd even like he asked me to purchase some stuff from Home Depot. So when he got down, he could build the set. I mean, it got down to the wire. And then two days before he was supposed to come down, he got sick, couldn't get on a plane. And there was not enough time to uh, get another photographer in from D.C. or wherever they were going to come from. So to answer your question, it got the project got canceled. I was actually I mean, it would have been super cool, but I was kind of relieved because it would have put, I think, the clutch at somewhat of a risk to take mm-hmm. them out of the incubator, put them in this kind of man-made naturalistic thing where I'd had, you know, I'd, we'd set up this thing. I had a heat pad underneath it to try to, you know, keep it at appropriate temperature and all that kind of stuff. But And out comes the Blaze Baby designer Kondra. Out of the naturalistic. Exactly. Exactly. You know, they're going to like put some rubber snake on top of the clutch, you know, and have a little baby sticking out. (laughs) But that's one of those things that it's like, it's cool that you are able to uh, produce these snakes and weird things come to you like that, you know, like media opportunities or people filming your collection or obviously you were on the radio and all these different things. It's, it's funny how many things uh, come to you. Yeah. Yeah. When you put yourself out there. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. And after I mean, retirement. Was, there you go. I wasn't retired then. Oh, okay. I didn't know how long ago it was. Actually, that yeah, that was right about the time. Yeah, I, I had not retired, but I was getting close then. Gotcha. What? How? Uh, on a scale of zero to ten, how much or where would you rate your retirement life so far? Probably about a twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to awesome. go up more when you move? Um, I don't know. I hope so. The the place that we're looking at, we're really close now uh, in closing, is going to be a great place. It's got a great building on it already. It needs a ton of work, but it's like 1,400 square feet, two-story. Um, be an awesome snake facility. And then the house is great. And <laughs> I think I told you. Yes, I like how that came first. Not where you're living, but where the snakes will be living. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the whole house. (laughs) No way, man. No way. I'm like Eric Burke when he was looking for a house. He was like, all right, I want to see the basement first. And the realtor's (laughs) like, what? What? I want to see the basement. He's like, look at the basement. All right, we're done. Let's go. That's pretty. (laughs) Snakes come first, I guess. Gotta come. Gotta come first. So what were you looking for? In like a, a snake room in particular, size primarily. I mean, it had to be had to be the right size. Um, these buildings are insanely expensive to build now. I had no idea how much it would cost to build a, a twelve to fifteen hundred square foot building that just had lights, plumbing, and air conditioning. I mean, it was unbelievable. So luckily, I found a place that already had a you know, a structure on it. It's the, uh, this particular room was used as a workshop. It's very dirty inside, very raw. I mean, I need to sheetrock it, paint it, air condition it, but it's got plumbing and electricity and that's like 60% of the battle. Um, but I was shocked how much, you know, you have to put in into a building. Well, we were talking to, uh, we had a, a monitor guy on who built his own facility and that was about 160k. I saw Dave Kaufman just recently went to someone's snake building. Theirs cost about 100k. So, and that's yep. pretty a pretty bare bones building. It is. And that's but in it. Yeah. So finding a place like like at least the one that you're at now. I mean, you have that that garage that you can use. I mean, that's also invaluable. I mean, anytime you buy a piece of property as a snake person, if you could find something like that, man, that is. Yeah. yeah, like my detached garage yeah. that I have here. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, that's a great place. But the problem is, is I need something five times that size now. I mean, that's what, that's, you know, what my collection needs. And, um, you know, to build a, those numbers that you're putting out were exactly what I was coming across to build, a, you know, building from scratch, about $140,000. And that's bare bones, you know, that's labor if you. You know, labor or messing with permits or doing whatever you got to do. I mean, you've got to get architect, uh, you know, an architecture, an engineer, soil samples. I mean, it's like building a house. It's like building a house. And didn't uh, uh, Corey say he had to, like, change the soil? Like, something wasn't right with the soil, like, for what he needed. I feel like he had to do something weird to it because it just, like, wasn't right for what he needed. And so many things I bet pop up. 
Yeah, it depends. Like when you're built, when you're laying that foundation, depending what the soil samples come back, you know, it depends on how far you have to, you know, and I know nothing about construction, so I'm just going on what I've been told, but the soil determines on how far, you know, you have to put the rebarb in that holds the foundation and just all this stuff that I had no idea. So luckily this place that we're looking at, foundation's already there. The brick's already there. It's, you know, the, just the foundation and the external structure is 60% of the battle. So, And you guys over there in Texas don't have basements, so. No, no, very, very rare to have, have a basement. Right. So what kind of, uh, are you looking forward to? Are you going to try to like set up a sink, all that good stuff in your, in your room and make it all perfect? Yeah. The only thing that my room doesn't have now that I really need is a sink is a water source. Cause I, I literally have to fill go back um, and forth. I go back and forth with, I use like three or five gallon plastic, you know, red gas cans that I just fill with water and I bring them out in, into that room and that's how I change water. So that's going to be the biggest, you know, the biggest thing. And this will be cool because I'll be able to, uh, I'm going to have a main room and then I'm going to have like a baby room and then I have a quarantine room. So, you know, I'll be able to just, you know, be able to get everything out of the house because I got snakes in the house now. I, I've got... You know, I've got the room outside and then my entire upstairs is filled. You know, I've got a quarantine room up there. I've, I use my office as, as the baby room. Um, so it'll be nice to just get everything under one roof. Right. And not take any more house space. Which yeah, is you'll get constant, there eventually, Bill. Don't constant worry. Constant argument in this house. Someone keeps wanting to You got a good 30 or 40 more. years to grow out of that building and then they start coming in. <laughs> yeah. My wife, Kim, is going to be ecstatic when the reptiles get out of the house. <laughs> she hasn't had that in like 10 years, you know. Gosh. As soon as she, our- has, she has all the reptile people come over to the house, too. <laughs> There's a whole nother that's thing she, for the fest. Yeah, that she, that she doesn't mind as much. Yeah, she likes people more than more than animals. More than, more than the snakes, unfortunately. I'm the opposite. Now, how is that going to work with um, the people you talk about, like who've been helping you and everything? Are they still going to continue to help? Because Joe told me it's like an hour more north. Is that what you said? Yeah. How far it's are you going to be from here? About forty-five minutes. And so it's going to be a little. It's going to be a little bit tougher. We've had some some talks. I think. I actually think um, both the guys that are over here every week are going to be able to, you know, still make that make that trip. Um, Maybe not as consistently, but yeah, that's, that is probably the one big, um, I guess, negative to this move is, you know, I got a couple of guys that I really rely on and trust. And like when I go on vacation for you know, three days or five days, or I've been gone as long as seven days, you know, I just wouldn't be able to relax unless, you know, I've got like Brian Phillips, he knows my collection as well as I do. And he just comes over and he just stays. He just stays the week here or five days or whatever. And so uh, that that's going to be that's going to be the hardest part. And I, I think what's interesting about who you have is that they are like real true blue snake people. It's not just someone who helps you every once in yeah. a while. Like they're also as, as deep much into, into it. snakes. Yeah. 
Right. Absolutely. It's not like they're coming over to take care of the dogs and cats. And yeah, would you please you know, like change it? Like that's pretty much it. But they're actual snake keepers who are. Yeah. 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 Super. Um, I mean, just been super lucky for sure. Cause that's been something that we've talked about a few times. Like how do we go about finding someone to help us? Or if we want to go on vacation ever, how do we find someone who we trust? to be in here who has the knowledge so lucky i mean how did you how did you find your guys um you know gosh it's, it's been so long now i think they've all been customers of mine essentially <laughs> like they've all you know these these are younger guys these, these these guys are like my son's age you know so they've kind of been customers and i've kind of been their mentor and you know, it's just something that's developed over a long time. Logan, who I talked about earlier on the show, I've known him, you know, 15, 16 years now. And he he was a customer. He came over, bought a snake. Actually, his wife did. His wife came over, bought him a snake for his Father's Day or something. And then we just developed that relationship that's gone on for a long, long time. Brian is the same way, just you know, probably five, six, seven years I've known him. And then got a, you know, another young guy named Jose, who's super enthusiastic, but, but much younger on the learning curve. He's still, you know, he's trying to produce his first clutch of ball pythons. He's still trying to just get, get some snake knowledge. You know, he's just thirsty for knowledge about any kind of snake. So, um, but you know, the most important thing is, is, is they're reliable, they're trustworthy and they, you know, we, we, we're like family, you know, treat each other like family. Yeah. It's hard to come by. It's hard to come by. And it's nice to know that if all goes bad, you can pay your employees in Chondro babies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Most of the transactions that go on over here have to do with babies (laughs) and not dollars. Yeah. We need to find some core stake folks. Where are they at? Come out of the woodwork. (laughs) Come on, there's no corn corn snake people in Philadelphia. We just haven't found them. We haven't uh, we haven't converted them yet. They, yeah, I don't know. We haven't found them yet. <laughs> With the big facility and everything, are you going to get more into um, breeding feeders and things like that? Because you have the space. I'll never do that. Okay. <laughs> I'll never do that. L- luckily, I've got some good rodent sources locally. Um, I've got. Uh, 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 individual that breeds rodents and I've got big cheese. I mean, you guys know that's, that's close. And then, uh, you know, I like doing business with my friend Forrest Fanning, cold blooded cafe. Um, so yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't get in the, the feeder Not business. Do you have live shipments for say like ball python movie stuff like that, or even some picky animals? That's where I, uh, Big Cheese comes in, or this individual breeder that's local to me. Gotcha. But so I th- most of my stuff, you know, ninety percent. I would say ninety percent of the stuff I have, that's including the ball pythons, babies, sub adults, and adults, each frozen. Ninety percent. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is such a big deal and so much more convenient. And plus, I don't think people realize how big having a rodent supplier just is in general. I mean, having we the miss, opportunity to we have, miss having one in. You can have you have a private breeder in. as well as a giant 
facility, you know, big cheese produces a lot of rodents. Yeah. So. It's a great combination um, because I can pick and choose a little bit, you know, it's just, it's a great option to have. And you guys have trouble there? No, it's just easier. Yeah. I mean, it's we just could really drive. drive yeah, Worth. we could drive to Fort Worth and go pick it all up and not have to worry about shipping. And Because now, you know, you lose track of who's what and where, and then all of a sudden you're behind on your large pinkies, and then you order them, and then you, you got to wait until the next Monday for them to ship. You say and that you like we're not going through it right now. I was trying to say like it happened before and not exactly right, right now, but now. Yeah, pretty much exactly right That's, now. You're in the spot right now? Yeah. And it sucks because we have lots of babies that have gotten two meals in and we want to get that third meal in them before our show this weekend. For but we're waiting on we're full waiting. disclosure, what what I did was I took a large pinky and they're supposed to be having small pinkies. I took a large pinky and I cut it in half with scissors. And Is that the them. scissors that are in the bathroom right now? <laughs> I took those. I mean, but it worked, guys. So, I mean, that's not the way to do things. But it, did you cut it? Which way did you cut it in half? Lengthwise or crossways? Oh, lengthwise through all the good stuff. So I just <laughs> left scissors right there on the bathroom counter where I interact with frequently. What, I thought you were going to do it. What were you going to do those scissors? Uh, I was just touching them to move them out the way, but I wish I'd known what I was touching. Every piece of anything could have been used to touch it. <laughs> just so. Don't trust any so utensils. Non- <laughs> Salad tongs, I don't know, butter knives. Pots, knows? all things. You just use them. And don't, no, yeah, and pots. You leave don't them, trust a pot. You leave them. No, in- no, no. no. Places. I feel like I need to put up signs like snake items do not belong here everywhere except for the room. It wouldn't do any good. They still use them. You're in a pinch and you know you gotta do what you gotta do. You don't get you don't have I'm not pinches. judging you for doing it. I'm judging you for leaving the scissors in the bathroom. I washed them off first, like uh I didn't exactly put them, you know. You didn't put them through some you didn't you didn't, you didn't sterilize them. Thank you. No. Yeah. I can't wait. In our next house, I want you to have a sink in your snake room. So, I mean, even if it's like not a legit working sink, if it's like a big tub thing, we can, I don't know, rig into. In the basement. Yeah. If it had like like a slop sink for. Right. I'm just, I can't wait to have all snake things not in my bathroom. (laughs) How long, how long till that happens? Who knows? I mean, there's ways he can do it, not in the bathroom, but is he, ma- I mean, there's many snake breeders who have a big like Home Depot tub and thaw their feeder, their food in that. But no, Joe just has no problem impeding on the rest of my life and still thaws them in the sink. And I know he doesn't clean the sink after. I mean, it's not like they're touching it, but the water there. I actually lick the sink clean after. Oh, so that's great. But like, why do won't you put the tub and thaw- defrost them in that? Do you keep your do you keep your feeders in the same freezer as your meat and stuff? Well, we don't eat frozen food because we're millennials. Millennials actually don't eat frozen foods, so, so you don't have a freezer. That was a bad joke. <laughs> no, I, I know that's a I know that's a lie because y'all like ice cream. Yes, we love that. Was he was trying to make a joke and it didn't didn't work well. We have lots of frozen food. Our only no. divider is the rats are on the top. 
and the food is on yeah. the bottom. And as I'm saying that, I feel like we should switch that. And then there's like a five-year-old bag of frozen shrimp in between. In order to- <laughs> <laughs> but I think we should switch it. The food should go on the top shelf of the freezer and the the pinky should go on the bottom. Now that I'm just saying Just in case it. pinky particles are just falling. Yeah. Also, because someone doesn't put them in freezer bags. You know the bags that Big Cheese comes in? He just like rolls them up and then puts them in the freezer and doesn't. But see, there, oh, to me, in- there's a different. To me, there's a difference of like, okay, keeping pinkies in your freezer versus like colossal rats, which is like what I have to have for the Borneos. Yeah, we're not doing that. It's mostly pinkies. Like <laughs> colossal rats. You seen? I mean, that's, that's like having a dead cat in your freezer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine opening the freezer to that. That's scary. <laughs> or like rat, people who do rabbits and stuff like that. I'm like, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You got to have a separate freezer. One day, one day we'll do that with an actual. Oh, be a thing, but sink first. I'm saying like one day, like we could just get a freezer. Really, where would we put a deep freezer right that now? Is, that's a good point. Why are we figuring out this stuff now? Oh no, we're just trying to live Bill's life, and that's not gonna when happen. You move, when you move back to Texas, things no. will be a lot easier. A lot more space. <laughs> Billy yeah. and space don't uh, they don't go together really. No, no. I mean, what, we're just trying to figure out our middle ground of how we can live effectively efficiently in the right place with all the right things to where we could still keep snakes and uh i don't think people realize really the long-term implications of having snakes especially to the point where you're at like your own snake room then it's like you're you're handcuffed to that idea of you need at least one extra room no matter what you do where you go and then breeding is just a whole nother level on top of that like you want to produce you know produce snakes and raise up the babies and do shows and stuff like that. That's, that's tough. It's tough to to do it. And to be honest, like we're still at the stage of where we want to make our breeding worth it in order to pay for these extra rooms. So a little bit, you know, more of that mentality, the fact that we need to, you know, face that they're in. Yeah. And, and, and that'll come. I mean, you know, you guys will be successful doing it. It's a lot of people have done it and are doing it and they're successful and you guys will, will be successful too. Each year, a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more. That's the thing. More. It's like a, it's like a low crawl through the mud in the pouring rain. <laughs> you know, <how> to get <laughs> got to pay your dues. Everybody's got to pay their dues. It's tough mutter. You know, tough mutter, <laughs> I feel like it's like tough mutter a lot, but when you get to the end, it's worth it. Hopefully we'll have a medallion that says, you know, like you're 60 and a group of like 10 people respect <laughs> you and you did your job. <laughs> have a good life. <laughs> ten, more than 10, but yes, I get the, I get the. So you're, you're not going to get a participation trophy. That's not going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> yeah. No. And I, I think that that is kind of an important aspect of it is that the people that you see who are doing it full time, man, have they must have sacrificed to do that, you know, to live there, you know, dreaming quotes. You know, that's a good topic for conversation because I get asked that a lot, you know, like, oh, man, you're so lucky. How did you, you know, have snakes become like your full time thing? And I think that's really very, very rare. And I wouldn't even consider me one of those people. You know, I look at people that would be like your age or starting a family. And if you're able to have a reptile business and 
at the same time have a family and save money and do all that kind of stuff. That's a different level than what I'm doing. You know, what I'm doing right now is like, I've done that, you know, in a, in a different career and I've raised a family and I've got everybody off the payroll and, you know, now it, it's not nearly, uh, I'm not nearly dependent on the business as I would have been 20 years ago. So I think it's such a rare, rare thing for somebody to say, yeah, I'm a full-time, you know, reptile breeder. I just think it's super rare. Yeah. Yeah. And I've just been thinking of, maybe I'm going crazy, but I'm like thinking of how many, you know, shooting stars there are in a sense. Is that a weird way to spread it? But you know, people who are really hot and heavy for like three years and then all of a sudden they fade away or even the people, you know, like there's only, there's a finite time. It seems for everyone. Yeah. I I think, I think you're right. I mean, there's just, and I think it's especially harder for the newer, you know, for, for this generation versus like Bob Clark, you know, who people like that, that were really on, you know, cutting edge, like ground floor, you know, literally ground floor. They built the industry from the ground up. Those guys, Eugene, him, Crutchfield, all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I think it's just harder now to try to, it can be done. I mean, you know, for sure it can be done, but I think it's just harder. Yeah. But we get to sell snakes on the internet. That's fun. That's yeah. true. Boxes next day. Bingo. And it, and, it, and it doesn't have to be for everybody full time. It can mean that you don't have to get that second job or it means you can go on vacation, you know, another time or two a year that you wouldn't have been able to afford to. You know, even if you keep your, your quote, your real job, I mean, you know, so I think there's a lot of advantages to, to doing it. I think that we're even like at this point where I realize, oh, like, damn, like this would be a great second income if it wasn't like my first 70.75% income, you know, if it, <laughs> if it was yeah. if I had a full time job where I actually tried that and did everything that I could and did this on the side, like how it would be impactful upon our lives. Extra. Yeah. Right. Like it, it would be a lot more work. Yeah. But when you're trying to make it your full, it doesn't feel as impactful right now. But it is a vacation or that car payment for the year, you know, like you could pay your car off with it, you know, like, yes. And you know, you definitely there for people. You guys are still um, relatively young in, developing your brand and your product and all that. I mean, you know, you, time is everything. You just, it takes time. You yeah. Know? Just impatient. Yeah. It's hard not to be. I mean, yeah, you don't want to sit here on your hands all day and not do anything also, you know, right. can, my time is coming. Just give me the time. <laughs> I wait here. <laughs> that voice. That's God. Oh, okay. Duh. Gotcha. Sorry. I did buy, sh- I did buy a shirt today. There you go. They, like the business is, is through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, I'm glad that we can have a community of people who just talk every, you know, like there's five, six, seven podcasts now. There's unlimited amounts of YouTube channels. There's people who are willing to come on and talk to us every week. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of things to be thankful for in our hobby. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and you guys, um, 
you know, you guys do a great job doing it. You're good at what you do. And so I have no doubt that just give it some time, be patient, just keep doing what you're doing. And I've got no doubt you guys are going to be successful. Well, thank you. And it's something to where obviously you do it too. We're just hoping that all of this at the end of the day, at least contributes to the community. You know what I mean? Like, of course. at least this is our blip in time or like your blip in time or, you know, our generation's time to make an impact upon the hobby. Like your hands are on the steering wheel of the green tree hobby. Like, you know that, right? Like you have an effect, you have a very big effect on the green tree hobby. Like you can make an impact, a long lasting impact that people remember for a long time. Um, I hope so. I hope that's the case. I hope we have. It's hard to judge sometimes. You know, our our show's been on like six or seven years now. And, you know, when we started it, kind of like you guys, we had like a mission statement. Why are we going to do this? You know, why are we going to do this show? What's what's the angle here? And it was, you know, it wasn't complicated. It was just dispel some myths about green tree pythons. And, you know, the way to do it was at the time we started with Buddy, who had been keeping chondros for 20 years and me had been keeping them for you know three years and it was kind of that um you know let's get a very experienced person and let's get a novice on and then we'll get the guests on and you know that way we'll be able to um appeal to the very new green tree keepers and then also to the season at the times the season veteran keepers so you know showing that someone like you at that time when you were still green in it could be successful and it was possible to take these steps you know from someone like buddy and learn it the right way and be successful with green tree pythons absolutely i was a ball python and carpet you know carpet breeder and you know just you guys i mean think about how much you've learned by having guests on your show Mm -hmm. about so many different species and i'm sure whether you've done it consciously or subconsciously you've introduced i promise you techniques into your keeping and breeding that you would have no access to unless you had a bunch of different breeders on your show and that's kind of the way it was for me and now you're the seasoned veteran everyone I'm more, I'm more seasoned than i was seven years ago that's for sure do you consider yourself a veteran of it? Of- I consider myself, I'm like, I'm like third generation chondro keeper. There was like the guys like Trooper and Eugene and um, Rico. And then there were second generation people like Buddy. And then I consider myself like third generation, third generation keeper. And what do you see as the future of? green tree python keeping breeding i think they're going to get easier to keep they're going to get easier to breed more you know years we go in captivity and the more knowledge that's spread out and the more myths that are dispelled so i think that they're going to get easier to keep easier to breed and the community is going to continue to grow do you okay what is one myth that when you started um, your podcast. It was like you feel like it was the like a big prominent one that everyone was confused about. That is not a myth now. Is does that exist? The biggest myth that I came into the community with, and I didn't keep green trees for ten years. I always wanted to, but I didn't keep them really for one reason. 
And I thought their temperament was, all of them was just nasty and defensive. And I, I don't, to this day, I don't like getting bit by snakes. I mean, there's some people that they get bit and they just go, oh, wow, that was a nasty one. You know, uh, I get bit. I like scream like a girl. Like, I don't guy. like to get bit. Yeah. I don't, no. I don't like to get bit. It's like part of what we do, but, and, and I have yet to get bit by a green tree python, except for a baby. No. So I swear I've been keeping them 10 years and I've never been bit by anything other than a baby. Do you just totally avoid the snake room at night? <laughs> no way. I mean, even these things at night, the captive red ones, if you just let them know what they're not going to eat, you know, whether you spray, give them a little spray or you tap them a little bit with a stick or something, you can get them out at night. I don't do that routinely, but I handle them all the time during the day. And so that was like the biggest myth that I came up upon was, is these things, you can't handle them. They're very aggressive, very defensive. Um, and then the other myth is that they're just hard to keep and they just die all the time. That's kind of the myths that I came in to the hobby and once I figured out quickly that that was not the case, then those were the things that we wanted to dispel. So the temperament thing, do you have any idea? Was that say non us captive board and bred individuals or certain locales or any, any thoughts behind why you experience such well mannered animals and other people experience different things? I think it's two things. I think it's the imported animals and I think even captive bred BIAC locality types are known to be a little bit more defensive, although that certainly isn't the case. I mean, I would, I would say even the majority of captive bred BIACs. Problem is, is, you know, most people are introduced to green trees at shows, and the majority of those are not only imported, plucked out of the wild, but they're also BIACs. So that's a bad combination. And the majority of those are pretty freaking defensive and I just I don't have any of those animals in my collection now Patrick Holmes was over here and he deals with imported BX all the time and you know he'll tell you even the majority of his are, are relatively easy to you know to handle but he's, he's a very experienced keeper you know yeah he's kept things like scrubs and things with more consequences yeah yeah, he has. And I saw a scar yesterday <laughs> of, of I, I can't remember what, what maybe it was Brettel, a big Brettel mm. that bit him. Yeah, tore him up pretty good. But, um, you know, I think the majority of it is just U.S. captive bred, non-BIAC locality types. And, and if you go to those, then I would say 95% of those animals are going to be docile, easy to handle, easy to keep. Just like the animal, just like the animal that I had out earlier. And then you get a better view of it. Oh Move yeah. Now, now your internet connection is like 20 times yeah, better. Yeah. It's so much better. Reason. Oh yeah. That looks amazing well, this, now. Well this, well, this is a different one. Oh, this we'll is the plague. There you go. This is the plague. So a sibling to the one that I had out earlier, but again, you know, yeah, it's like an see. olive drab, but with like, there's obviously black flecks coming in there, right. red eyes. Yeah, he's a lot more black in the light. But again, you know, he's just a real, I mean, what a terrible temperament on this snake, right? 
<laughs> so scary, you know, it's about to uh, bite your head off. I mean, I think it's also, I mean, clearly this, um, you know how to work with them also. I think if well, people I mean, don't you know, saw me pick, conduct themselves. You saw me pick them up. It wasn't rocket science. I just pulled a no. perch out and, you know, take them out. He's, he's just docile. That's how, that's how the vast majority of them are. Well, Bill, there's a common notion that you need to boop snoots, and uh, that's how people usually approach animals these days. They pick them up, you know, like from the front, like exactly how you shouldn't. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my my take on these these ferocious animals. Mm-hmm. They just don't des- deserve the reputation most of the time. And you're also not really shy about taking them out like that. You know, they're not these uh, bubble boys that people used to think they were, it seems. You know, some some chondros, and I think, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, they deserved that reputation. They were more fragile. They, um, you know, whether it was because they just came out of the wild and you're drastically changing their living conditions versus these things that are born in tubs and stay in tubs all their life. Um, you know, I think, I think 20 years ago, they were a lot harder to take care of than they are now. So do you feel like, uh, it is a great time to be a chondro keeper slash breeder. It seems that way. I think so. And I think it's only going to get better. Like I said, I think, you know, more people are being introduced to them. More people are having success breeding them. That, that means more of the captive bred stuff is going to be available on the market. That means more people are going to have good experiences with them, first-time experiences, as opposed to the somebody that buys one, an imported one, and it dies in two weeks after they've spent $250 on it and then $100 in vet bills, and then it dies, and they I'm never going to get another green tree again. You know, who, who would? I wouldn't. Right. So, yeah. For a long time, people were starting behind the eight ball and now you're finally kind of starting out on even ground. At least you get a fair shot at it. You got more than a fair shot. I mean, you get a <laughs> you get a captive bred animal from a reputable breeder and I have never had a bad experience as a seller. I've had I've, I've known of one of my animals that died. I take that back. Two of the animals that I've produced that died. It's always been like a year later. And, you know, in those cases, things just happen, you know, it wasn't anybody's fault. They just, they just died, but that's far better odds than go to a show and pick up, you know, an an animal and you've got about a 10% chance or 20% chance of it living. It's also, you may not get even good information from the person who's selling it. Exactly. Even if even if the animal's decent, the person's not going to provide support in most of the cases. Yeah. So, I mean, is that really what separates, you know, getting a U.S. captain born and bred? Obviously, it's more expensive, but is it just like the hands-on experience? Plus, I mean, I feel like it's like a ticket into the conjure community. Like you get to talk to Bill and you're like, oh, <laughs> please help. And, you know, like that's invaluable for a, a beginner. I think the animal, truthfully, is more important than the support because if you get the right animal, you don't, you know, 95% of the time you don't need any support. You just, you know, put it in the right cage and it's going to thrive. I think the animal, getting the right animal is more important than the source, but I think they're both important. 
Uh, speaking of shows and everything, I'm sure I've asked you this, but are we going to see you at Tinley? It's looking very, very good. I had another commitment that I thought was going to take take me away the same weekend, but I'm saying 95% sure that I'll be there now. Yay! Yes. There's always a lack of green trees slash uh, there's some Morelia guys up there, but there's definitely uh, Ian was there, but that's about it for green tree guys. I think I think I know Gary's going to be there. Gary Shavino is going to be there. Marshall Mendez, just who are his guys that you can't avoid their names in the Green Tree community, and I know nothing about them and haven't met them. So <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna change that. All right, great. We're gonna change that. They're both great guys. Um, I think there's a very good chance Buddy's going to come as well. Uh, so yeah, we'll change that. Presentation of G. Uh, GTP people there. We got to represent. There you go. Awesome. Well, Bill, our always final question, if someone wants to reach out to you, what is the best way they can get in touch with you? I think probably um, Facebook. You know, I post a lot more under just my name, Bill Stiegel, than I do. I've got uh, Phoenix Reptiles on Facebook. Uh, so I would just go Bill Stiegel on Facebook or Phoenix Reptiles on Instagram or my website, phoenixreptiles.net, or ESPN. .net. I'm changing it up. <laughs> That's old school. <laughs> so there's the plague, there's the sickness. What's the next? What disease type thing? What is disease? The, yeah, the disease. Is that going to be the next one? I, I, I just showed you epidemic. Oh, yes, epidemic. yeah. Right, yes. Epidemic was the, first, was the first snake. Oh, and I've got... If you still have it, because we didn't get to like see it well yeah. the first time. So then, well, epidemic. Then what can we? Do? Polio. Polio. Well, that's yeah. pretty specific. <laughs> New Gary. Uh, okay, I've got a name that I want you to look up, and I want you. I want any of the listeners to look up. This is going to be if I ever produce a badass female, I'm going to name her Disperunia. Okay. D-Y-S-P-A-R-U-N-I-A. Computer is not liking me. D-Y-S-P-U-R-I-N-I-A. U-R-N-I-A. Just peruning it. <laughs> oh, really, Bill? How many times do you want to explain that name to people in the future? I'm not going to. I'm never going to explain it. I'm just going to tell them to look it up. I like, though, that we are coming roundabout, like, full circle to gynecology. (laughs) (laughs) It fits in very nicely with this episode. Oh, I'm glad you think so. Well, it's (laughs) deep pressure on the cervix. That's something. Okay, I mean, yeah, that would sound like a badass female situation. (laughs) Doesn't it? I mean, probably she doesn't prolapse. I don't know what the ramifications (laughs) are, but. Yeah. That's. That's a good point. I'm going to continue to go with. I'm going to continue to go with the disease like states. I might do like pandemic. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'll come up. With, I'll come up with some. I'll keep it going. I'll come up with some. Good <laughs> That's awesome. There you go. Now you just gotta. You just gotta produce the snakes to back it up. You know. Now you just gotta produce. I, I've got. I've got um, fifteen sickness babies. In my office right now, getting big, so I don't think that's going to be a problem. That's cool. These things look badass. Back to his mother. 
Then no, uh, this was sickness to the blue cyclops. Oh. So what have you gotten out of that pairing previously? That's the first time the sickness has ever reproduced. Wait, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, this is the sickness's first clutch. These these animals are like four months old now. Ooh, so they look awesome. They look incredible. Yeah. How many red neos? They were all red. Ooh, my favorite. There you go. They're all red. And I've got them. Um, they're going all over the world. I've got, I sold six. I've got one going to Canada, one going to Japan, one going to Italy. And then the other three are staying in the U.S. Okay, I want to ask we, so many I, questions about that, but how it's Bill worth is two hours. Everywhere. But let's acknowledge the paper. I just feel like the paperwork for that seems very Well, we didn't even talk the difficult. fact that he sold one to an NFL football player this year. Yeah, yeah that was last year. That was last See, you, I'm not counting. dates right. But it's still. It still is a big thing. I feel like we talked about it before. I don't know. We have talked about it personally. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely talked We're about like, it personally. Shit. Holy shit, Bill did that. And it's like, oh, holy shit, Bill did this. And it, there's lots of holy shit Bill did in our house. Well, Bill's old, so Bill deserves that kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be more like Bill. You'll be talking, you'll be talking like me when you're old, too. <laughs> But yeah, it, it, like far as the importing, it's I don't even know. All I know is I have to get the snakes to New York. That's and then um, they, you know, the the buyers are taking care of it from there. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Well, thank you, Bill, for coming on tonight and uh, having a great uh, gynecology podcast with us with some snakes. Uh, thank you for coming to the, sno the snork sprinkled in snork snakes. Yes, the snork's nest. I can't say that. Um, if uh, wait, shoot, I forgot how we end these things. Um, thank you, everyone. I don't usually for, drink whiskey during this, but it's too. really. Effective. I couldn't drink it. It was gross tonight to me. Um, I noticed that, Joe. Yeah, he's stepping up. I like it. <laughs> it's because we're out of beer. Move. It was by having. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, and Joe had to ship out a snake before the podcast, so. <laughs> We didn't get anything. Um, but thank you everyone for watching and listening and bearing with us during this stream yard stuff. It seemed out to work out well. Um, we will actually be doing another podcast tomorrow. It's a double feature week. Yay for my life. <laughs> um, actually, I shouldn't well, say that. I mean, I'm excited to have to like, two. Sorry. Yes, we have two. Sorry. I'm yeah. so excited to have two. I'm just exhausted already. And it's one Monday. Well, we'll bring um, some more um, feminine biologists. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about more gynecology with her. I don't know oh, her. Oh, God. I, it wasn't, I wasn't implying that. Either. Oh, you said that. You said feminine. Well, I'm saying it will what be is very feminine different. feminine levels? What does that mean? Let's acknowledge oh, that. No. <laughs> feminine just, levels. We're used to having <laughs> men on. And now I am happy a, with a girl. If you need a consult tomorrow, <laughs> just let me know. <laughs> bring it in um but yes we are having another one it is a girl we will be here <laughs> what it is a girl it sounds like i'm talking about a baby we're having another one it's a girl we've it's had a woman like so far yeah it is a woman it is a, a full woman grown i should woman. say that she is a full-grown woman yeah um disparaging wow she doesn't listen thank god at least she won't listen in one day yeah she won't listen until <laughs> after she's on tomorrow this is awkward, but everyone knows <laughs> They don't know who she is. Perfect. But yeah, so we will see you guys. Yo, uh, James Lewis said Tracy Barker. 
Yeah. Yeah, we broke it. Okay. <laughs> no. You're having Tracy Barker on? No. Yeah. No, we would not be talking no. about like this. Sorry. <laughs> we shouldn't be <laughs> you think. Um, well, we got everyone excited. Now they're going to come back and watch tomorrow. Um, and hopefully it goes as well. It's Terry Irwin, guys. You got us. <laughs> That's it. Her and Bindi will be here. Both. And Bindi's going to talk about her new engagement. <laughs> Naturally. Naturally. PortCityPythons.com. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So if you want to see us tomorrow, catch us back here on YouTube, Port City Pythons, and then all the social medias. And if you're in the Havard or Grace, Maryland area this weekend, come see us at the show. Um, I don't even think I've been to Maryland, let alone been to the show in Maryland. So this will be a lot of firsts. Glad to be there. Good luck. Yeah. It is the home of Howard Redding. So I think I'll be. (laughs) Oh, no. well thank you guys it is almost 10 30 i gotta go to bed i'll talk to you and see everyone later bill thank you so much for hanging out with us you bet guys welcome to ground bites melissa says she's so tired that she can't even think straight we're gonna put that to the test this is the after show the after bill stiegel show We've got the plague. We've got the sickness. We've got the full-blown epidemic. epidemic. This intro was so much better than the first one. I wasted the good intro on the two Yeah, but you didn't have all the names and all that in your head. (laughs) I totally forgot we had to do this. It is so late. I am hot and tired. I'm sorry. You could see me, like, glistening sweat. Yes, because we're sweating. Yeah, because holy fuck, that is too warm for these pythons. Um, (laughs) Not that opening the door will look... It may immediately drop at two degrees. I would hope so. But it is too hot in here for them. Therefore, I mean, what kind of place is this for a warm-blooded human? I'm already cooler. I don't know. Just opening the door made a big difference. I know. It feels great, doesn't it? It feels much better. Yeah. Um, But... We had a great show with Bill. Yes. So if you weren't watching on YouTube literally 20 seconds ago, we <laughs> um, had our podcast with Bill Siegel from Phoenix Reptiles tonight. Who was on this? Um, like he was on this a couple nights ago. And it's interesting. Um, we haven't had repeat people that much, but I always try to ask different questions. I felt like you were asking some of the same questions that we had before. I don't remember. Well, but, first podcast. But, it was almost two years but ago. But obviously the first podcast was where we asked all the basic, like, what temperatures? What do you do with this? What do you do with this? And so I was trying to not go down that oh, route. Oh, we ended up spinning off anyway. Yeah, but you were trying to bring us back but, to that uh, route. But think about no one actually saw that when it happened. That was when we, we were in the beginning. No we, were, it. we were probably getting like 100 downloads. <laughs> I mean, now it has a decent amount of downloads, but keep calling it downloads no one downloads it plays well that's what it shows up on the app for the analytics oh no, it Bissell. doesn't What's up, Ian? i tell you that every time there's only like ever one download it's just always are we gonna played. fight right now yes we oh, are oh my god this is the end of this because you don't say it right sorry i meant that plays. likes plays. plays plays when you download the soundcloud app you can just play it straight from there downloading it you know you get to listen to it later, but people just play it there. Or you can, so. well, a lot of people would download it from their Apple iTunes store or their podcast addict, whatever aggregator they use for podcasts, they would usually use that. You wouldn't, um, you're not sure because you don't listen to podcasts. Yeah, but I look at our analytics on SoundCloud and know that it's <laughs> the, the, the not vernacular is what you're concerned you. with. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. And you're trying to make me feel bad for not listening to podcasts, and I don't. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's I've very... said it and announced it multiple times. I listened to zero people's podcasts. You know what's funny is I think that it's the same way with Eric and Owen. I don't think Owen listens to podcasts. I don't but, I, but, it, but Eric listens to everything. Not that we're anything like Like Eric them. But... Well, if people did listen to our Bill episode from a couple of years ago and they listened to this one, it'd be interesting to see their viewpoint, you know, how different was it or was it not very different I at all? was very not sober during the first Bill. Really? I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah. That was when we used to get a little a little frisky towards then the end Then you had two whiskey drinks tonight. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty decent right now, to be <laughs> honest. But I wasn't planning on that. You just didn't drink yours. Yeah, it was gross. Um, but it was nice though to just talk about Bill's different, um, different things he's got going on. Obviously two years is a big difference in the snake world and what you're working with and everything. And so, um, it's nice to hear the different, the furthering of the projects that we talked about two years ago mm-hmm. and try to challenge, challenge myself to ask different questions and kind of get more into the story of Bill sometimes. Um, like we always do with a lot of people in the podcast. It was really but- cool because one of my things going into the podcast is I wasn't sure well, I knew for some reason that I wanted to talk about iCast because I realized that he is like, when he first got there, that was like his introduction. Yeah. And that was just the beginning. What a crazy and now introduction. He is, yeah, yeah. That's like the top of the top. And now he's getting there. He's the like, top of the top. Now. Right. When you think about so the top QTP people. like, And the, well, that's why it was interesting to me because he was saying like, oh, it'd be hard to like recreate iCast. But I think that's because of like where he is in it. I think the new people, he is those big people to them. So like he's not on a pedestal himself. Right, right. And the people that are up there with him don't view themselves on that pedestal. But like, and it's not just because Rico's gone that there's no one to fill the void. I mean, there's there's no one Rico, but there's like five guys who know. Yeah, so much to make that, up a Rico. <laughs> yeah, they're like a transformer. One's an arm, a, a leg, leg uh, everything yeah, to make one right. Rico. And so that's that's why it's so interesting to me that he said like people feel like it can't be repeated because it's like no, just view it from my eyes. It hundred percent can be, and it it will. If anything, it can be bigger. Even bigger. There's more. Right. There's even more. No, I do have to say, I think it won't be as um, what's the word like. I think there's going to be a lot more low level. A lot more low level people would go to it, and so and, I don't and, know and if big that's things a, only like things like that only happen once, and then. Right. But I think so. Yeah, I think more low different. level people would go to it. It'd be, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if the high level people would like that. Like because obviously, they'll it like advertise on NPR, and we would say it. I'm right, sure, or like right. something else, and then that would get more general public in the front door. Like, not just one guy owns a GTP coming from Texas, but one guy right. owns a GTP coming from... 30 people, 30 people who own one GTP coming. And right. obviously, we weren't around for the first ICAST, um, but from what I've heard, it seems like it was more just, like, the highly esteemed... The brain power was right. so condensed. And then there was yeah. a couple people, who, like Bill, who only had there one. There were many, So it will, yeah. be, it will be different. And in that respect, no, you cannot repeat that highly esteemed bubble because that bubble is not does not quite exist anymore because of social media and the way because everyone can talk to people and bring people in yeah like everyone is exposed to everything now in the way that it was a big deal to go and see trooper walsh because that guy is not on social media the thing is that the biggest guys now are pretty accessible you can right. you can just message them and say hey what's up 
But the thing is that these guys were like lore. Right. I mean, so it, it it cannot be created, recreated, but I think it in the same can way, be yeah. right, separate but equal. Um, but it can be a good event that you put on each and every year that wouldn't lose money. Hopefully. Right. And it doesn't, literally could be once every two years, once every three, and, you know, and it still can have that like, oh my gosh, ICAST is coming up. Like, I got to meet Bill. I got to meet Ian. I got to meet, you know, yeah. all those people that are the big, and even the people that are still in it. Like you said, like Buddy is coming to Tinley. Like all those people who've been in it for so long, you know, can still be those big people at mm-hmm. ICAST. Uh, so I think they should definitely do it. And then, I mean, even then, I mean, they reach more people now through their measures of social media and stuff like that. So there's a fly stuck in the diffuser. Is that what's light, making that sound? Is, yeah, yeah, there's a fly stuck in there. Ew. Is it got <laughs> to die and burn? Oh, God. Well, between the grocery bag and the light? It's definitely about know. to cook in there. Good. Sure. Wow. Sorry, it's That's burn. fucked up. Yeah, but I think it would be something that isn't exactly, um, it would never be the same, but it is something that those folks who are into it can look forward to. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of weird that there isn't something like that for corn snakes. There's too many, see, there's too many people. It's too, yes, there's still. It gets back to the point that Bill made is that it's the actual the so few people that made it an actual community right. because you could actually get together and you all cared about the same thing doing But I still thing. think there's few enough green tree, but there's, there's just too many corn snake well, people. Well, there's a, there's less corn snake people than there are ball python people. That's right. for sure. You're, right. But, and there's still the big wigs in the corn snake world, like obviously the loves and the barkers and all those people, but there's just so many other people. I don't know. I feel like you can't have a corn snake eye cast. It's just too many. Well, you know the Barkers didn't do corn sorry. snakes. Sorry, sorry. I'm just thinking of big people in general. Down Soderberg. Sorry. Maybe that's a, to get that name out of Um, But, yeah, there's just too many. Yeah. And then, I mean, but there's also a lot of people who breed one or two clutches a year, which is like, those are cool people too. But the thing <laughs> is that the, 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 bar- the barrier to entry is so different. Yeah. Meaning, like for green trees, you got You got Your tough mutter life is longer in green trees. They're more expensive, right off the rip. More expensive, harder to keep, harder to breed, harder to hatch, harder to do everything. Everything. It's much easier to get into the corn snake world. So yeah, to, to say that, that you you came and you bred colubrids, people are like, yeah, yeah having an eye cast for right, that. Dude, but I think like a that. a carpet. Or, I don't know. Carpets used to be I, on the level of, like, you know, they'll breed every once in a while. Now it's, like, it seems like people easy. have a lot of success. It's not too easy. It's not as easy as a ball python. You'll still – you still see people, like, I think it was this year, where a large part of the Morelia community had some downturn in their production this year. We should also talk to the fact that we are, like, colubrid breeders and our only friends are, like, python people. That's kind of <laughs> weird. I know. So – but it's, I think it's, I don't know, it's different. The, the corn snake world is so, there's just so many that there's not like the big people as much that stand out. There's not as good of a filter to weed out who's legit and who's not. Although you know who's legit and who's not. And I don't, you know, I don't know who's in that group and who's I don't not. Know. I'm just, not in that group yet. But I think so. it's also just happenstance of where we where we were living, like who we met first. Oh, yeah. That introduced us to, you know. Yeah, when we were in the heat of it, we lived in Dallas. And literally 
all the Moralia guys, and well, really, it's Green Tree Python guys. There's a lot. Down they there. all live in Dallas, right? So <laughs> maybe if we had started somewhere else, you know, it'd be different. But I agree, like we are not in the corn snake world. I feel yeah. like at all. Um, but then it's like the the one friend we or not one, but like the people like Sarah. Like I don't know. I don't know her that well, but like, is she like, in, I feel like she's not like in it, but she is one of the most knowledgeable corn snake people there is out there today. She's one of the like pillars of the Facebook world in a way where she like is active morph, on the groups and stuff. Right, morph identification and all that. Like, I mean, in a I way that, that not many other people around our age, because she's around our age, are doing it in that form. Right. Um, I don't even know what the corn snake world like. Because we're like much more hands off. I don't. I couldn't even there, tell you the like corn snake community. Made, you know what's you crazy know? is that like most of the 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 breeders who are very active on Facebook are females. In corns. Yeah. Interesting. Isn't that like there's no dudes who are active on Facebook? There's dudes who breed corn snakes, but they're not as active. At least they're not as active uh, on things like corn snakes on Facebook or corn snakes worldwide about, and stuff like uh, that. Walter. No, no, but he's not active on Facebook. Oh, okay. Everyone respects Walter Smith for what he does, and he has amazing projects and everything going on, but he's not often on Facebook, probably because he's working on those amazing projects that everyone respects him for. Okay, wait. Ryan called called us out for putting all clubbirds together, and he's right. Like, brain, uh, I can't talk. Bamboo rats or dry micron, like, it's different than breeding a corn snake. Yeah, yeah, maybe not all clubbirds, but... You know what we're talking about, Ryan. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people can mess up corn snakes, though. We figured that out. But then at, at the same time, I don't <laughs> know. There's still corn snakes this Yes, year. but there's still so many people doing it at the same right. time. But to speak to that, um, and looking, talking about looking forward to things, I am very interested like to go to Haver de Grace because for mo- it's all connecting. One, all of our friends, like we said, all of our friends are not corn. So I have not gotten like a corn person's view on like Haver de Grace two yeah because we're taking opinions from Python people so they're like this right. show's shit okay I didn't want to say go that go ahead I didn't want to well say they, just, that. they, they didn't do <laughs> well at the show right maybe because they're selling pythons that aren't great for right pets. so yeah. I'll be interested to see a what corn people go there like you know what are what's the community that b if we do well because everyone else has said they haven't had successful time at this show. Right, like have they not had success because their animals are a little bit high dollar, they're a little bit, you know, baby Morelia are a little bit bitey, stuff like that, but they didn't do well because everyone else is buying the lower end animals that happen to be, you know, a little bit opposite in temperament from that and first time pet owners and, you know, really our market is like families you know mm-hmm. all the time that's who comes to us is people you know 30 year old moms and dads really that's 30 year old gotcha no but you know what i but mean families, like, families. Like, like young families or like younger couples i feel like a yeah. lot of times like very rarely do we get like a 60 year old person or even like 40 and above most of the time wanting to buy a corn from us yeah. Um, and then that, what does that say? I don't know. I think there's a lot of a, an attitude towards the fact that you like graduate out of corn snakes to be like, that's the lowest level. That's a beginner pet. You need to level up to a ball python, whatever. But I mean, that's not how I see it. I, I think about the interaction with an animal. I think about the behavior of an animal. So for me as a keeper, 
why would I want something that stays still all the time when I'm going to have something that not only doesn't stay still all the time, but is often when you open that, that enclosure, it comes to you. Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I open a good amount of my tubs and they come to me. But they come to me because they think I have food. But I can break that of them, you know, pretty quickly. You know, as soon as they know I don't have food, then they're good to go. And it's like, it's such a amicable pet to have. Yeah. It's such a good starter snake in every single way. And it's it's not even just a good starter snake or a good pet to have. It's a good just snake, snake. to interact with and have i mean i don't understand Do you hear that yeah it's the, the fly, fly in there. cooking oh my god oh gosh okay it's 15 minutes i gotta go i'm sorry is it actual 15 minutes or did it no the stream yard that delays it even Facebook bill joined <laughs> i know oh it got out i just heard the fly sorry i got out okay but i gotta go oh you're gonna go just when bill joins well he joined at 15 minutes that's his he did join like two hours ago and we did just talk for yes, two hours so okay Good night, everyone. Thank you. Of course. I'm going to go kill a fly. <laughs> yeah, we need to do away with that fly up there. Thank you guys so much for watching. We will catch you guys tomorrow. I will uh, edit the Bill episode and have it up tomorrow if you guys didn't catch that one. Otherwise, we will catch you guys tomorrow over here on Facebook. We will see you later. Am I talking too much? Yes, end it. Should I end it?